right. Welcome. This is Project Interpretive Culture Podcast, Episode 16. I'm your host, Roy Arthur Blodgett, joined, as always, by Mr. Philip Leitz. And um, before we introduce our guests, we'll go over our usual housekeeping. Um, first, to acknowledge our host network, the Animals at Home Network, with uh, the GOAT, Dylan Perrin. The one and only. Um, the one and only, exactly. And um, also, I'd like to acknowledge our sponsor. Project Herpetoculture is brought to you by Custom Reptile Habitats, makers of premium PVC reptile enclosures. We have an affiliate link for them in our show notes and description. And if you make a purchase through that link, we will receive a commission at no extra cost to you. We also have Cold-Blooded Caffeine, and they are purveyors of premium coffees from around the globe. And um, for every bag purchased through them, they donate a little bit to support conservation in those coffee growing regions, which also support some really amazing herpetofauna. On top of that, we have tortoisesupply.com and they produce some really high quality tortoise feed. And it also works great for your mastics from what I hear. And then as well, we have reptilerocks.com. They make some really beautiful um, faux rock uh, reptile hides and um, things of that nature. And then last but not least, we have Redline Shipping for all of your reptile shipping needs. We've got links for all those guys posted in our show notes and description. And yeah, we want to say thank you to our sponsors for supporting the show and helping us keep the lights on over here. We also have now launched our Patreon. So want to just give a quick um, shout out to those who have already signed on as patrons. We really, really appreciate the support. It's um, it's a pretty humbling and amazing thing to have. Um, yeah, to have support from the community and it'll only benefit the show as we go. We're going to improve and grow and um, we have a lot of ambitions beyond just the show itself with this whole thing. So thanks a lot for signing on to support it. Heck yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. Is am I missing anything, Phil? I I don't believe so. No, I think that's I think that's the the gist of it. Other than uh, the intro. All right. Well, um, we have an amazing guest today, um, Dr. Justin Juliander. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I'm going to hand it over to Phil actually to to start us off with the first kind of question here and get the ball rolling. Yeah. All right. Heck yeah. So um, the first question, Justin, is sort of like a sort of a formality, but I feel like it's one that is worth asking almost everyone. Um, what What is your herpetological uh, herpetology based origin story? Like, is this something that's always been with you ever since you were very, very young? Or, or was there a particular event that sort of crystallized your, your passion for, for exotic uh, reptiles and, and amphibians and such? Yeah, I, I guess, uh, um, I, you know, I have a terrible memory. So, you know, I, I've, I've had this story in, in my head of how it happened and, and hopefully that's the, the truth of it. But, you know, uh, maybe it's stories my parents told me, but second grade, you know, getting into dinosaur books and then at the back of it, all the dinosaur books is the rep, you know, the living dinosaurs, the reptiles. And so I think that was part of at least my introduction. And then uh, my dad would take me on uh, backpacking trips all the time. And so we'd go out in the deserts of, uh, you know, uh, Southern Utah and, and uh, hit the Canyonlands and, you know, Zion and things like that. And, and anytime we'd find any kind of reptile or amphibian, you know, I just 
kind of geek out and get really excited more so. I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of a general naturalist, but with a heavy emphasis on the reptiles. So um, that's that's always been something that I've been excited about are, are reptiles. So, um, you know, it's hard to trace back the, 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 the spark, but I, I think it's just always been there. And yeah. is it, um, it, do you, do you, uh, maybe this is also sort of like a arbitrary, but do, do you, uh, lean more heavily more towards, um, say like lizards or snakes or something in particular is like, do you, do you just find yourself drawn to one or the other more for any particular reason? That's the hard thing about reptiles is there's so many cool different mm-hmm. reptiles and I'm pulled to all of them. Like I, I love tortoises. I love, you know, lizard snakes. I think um, I focus more on snakes in my keeping just because I, they were, they're easier, you know, they don't require mm-hmm. as much daily care and attention. And, you know, I, I'll admit when I get Ackies or, you know, some kind of monitor lizard, that's probably too much uh, effort it was required for them to, to breed them at least. I mean, I can keep them alive and you know, that kind of thing, but breeding them is a challenge because I just don't have the the time that it takes to, to truly do monitors justice. So, you know, stuff like here, I, I love your mastics. I'd love yeah. to keep them, but I probably would fail miserably. You know, I'd like, <laughs> they, they'd be alive, but I wouldn't be pumping them out like you are, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> I, I'm drawn to all sorts of, of reptiles. And I think, um, a lot of that I've kind of turned into herping and and just go looking at them in the wild instead of keeping them in captivity. That kind of scratches that itch. And and so I can go out and look at rattlesnakes and then I don't have to keep rattlesnakes because I can yeah. see them in the wild kind of thing. So Right, right. Yeah. Maybe may part of my interest in Australian reptiles, it's a little expensive and hard to get over to Australia. So, you know, I can, right. I can remember them and keep those memories in my head by keeping them in captivity. Then I can look at my jungle carpet and remember the time I saw a jungle carpet on, on the road and try to keep them like I, you know, in the environments that I saw them in, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's so cool because, uh, cro- the, the, um, herping outside the U S is something I, I haven't managed to make happen just yet. Um, definitely, obviously something on, on, I think any, all of our radar is trying to herp anywhere we yeah. can, right. But you've, you've, you've had such a, uh, such a, like you it sounds like you've herped in a lot of places. I know you've herped Australia, obviously, mm-hmm. but, um, other than, Australia and then within uh, the U.S. Have you? Where else have you have you uh, gone herping? Yeah, I've I've kind of focused that. I mean, any any trip I take now involves a little bit of research on something close by that I can get out to to herp. But you know, like it's hard if you know if I'm traveling for work. You know, I'd have to uh, rent a vehicle and kind of get out there on my own. And and sometimes I'm in a country that's like I don't speak the language, and that's a little difficult. Or like in Japan, I you know reading i don't i don't know any japanese and you know trying to read a street sign is a challenge you know because you got to match up the symbols with the map and that's really tricky so um i think with technology i mean that's definitely improved our chances and allowed us to get out there and stuff but i try to do incidental herping wherever i'm at so like if i'm at a conference like i was in just in georgia you know for a conference and i got up early in the morning and went out 
looking for stuff just in the area around the hotel, <laughs> like find ah. some, some habitat and flipping, flipping logs and stuff. But, and, you know, I found a, f- a few things, but then when I came back to the hotel, like there's this guy, uh, he, he was at the conference as well, looking in a tree and I'm like, Oh, what are you looking at? He's like, Oh, there's a snake in here. I'm like, what? Oh. <laughs> I didn't see any snakes out looking for him, you know, and he's got one in the tree next to the hotel. And then I wow. go up on the balcony and they're all looking over at an alligator swimming up the river. So I'm like, yeah. I could have just stayed at, stayed at the hotel and hurt. You got better herping uh, stories than I did yeah. walking out and then getting all beat up in the bush, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I did go to a conference in uh, Bulgaria and, and uh, Nipper Reed was telling me, oh, Bulgaria is fantastic herping. Did you get out and herp? I'm like, no, I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't dare, I guess was kind of the answer, you know, and I didn't really right. think about it when I, I was thinking Bulgaria, what's in Bulgaria, you know, what kind of herps are in Bulgaria? So right. I think what, just what part of Bulgaria. Reason. Um, it was Sofia was the, okay, yeah, the, yeah. the city we were in. So, and I nice. basically just, but, but incidentally, there was like this reptile uh, display thing. I was walking down the road and there's a sign for like reptile display. So I'm like, oh, we're going to this. And I dragged yeah. my coworkers. And we went to this little cool. reptile display. They just had a bunch of snakes in cages, like in a, in a hotel lobby or something. It was wow. kind of funny to pay a couple bucks and go look at some snakes. But yeah. It, it reminds me. lived... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I actually, I actually lived in Bulgaria for three months. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And um, and yeah, I was actually pretty impressed by the herbs while I was there. I don't mm-hmm. remember everything of what I saw, but yeah, um, I think I found like a big Caspian whip snake. I think it oh, was cool. at one point. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah, I was, I was pretty amazed actually. It's, it's a, it's an amazing country. Um, yeah. And that and again, like there's so many cool reptiles that like wherever you go, yeah. except for maybe Antarctica or something, you're going to yeah. find some cool stuff, you know, have the potential to find some cool stuff. So, you know, like I, I just went on a trip with my buddy from high school. We went down to Mexico and he speaks you know, fluent Spanish. Wow, and and yes. we just we were just down like the, the trip was focused on um snorkeling and, you know, the ocean and stuff like that. And so, but, but then I'm like, Hey, you know, as it's getting dark, Hey, let's, let's go just drive around on this road. You know, I, I found some INAD observations on this road. So, and, and actually just driving into town, we were driving to go uh, talk to the, the, boat we were doing a boat trip out to an island, you know, to go dive with sea lions or swim with sea lions. And, and so we're, we're, uh, driving into town and and there's a, a whip snake crossing the road i'm like oh stop the car stop the car i jump out oh, and run oh. out and get it off the road you know and, and it's just this little baby uh snoring whip snake so yeah. new species wow. for me that i hadn't seen but it's just you know it was right place right time i guess to <laughs> save this thing off the road but um and then you know the nights we went out we found a couple toads we saw a dor uh, long nose snake but uh, so nothing major but yeah we, we saw some turtles so i guess uh sea turtles uh, under water oh, that nice. was fun yeah and I, and he's like we haven't seen any sea turtles on this on he's done the trip a few times with different people and he's like we've never seen sea turtles so must wow have been the, the herper in the group brought some yeah, sea exactly. turtle luck or something i don't know <laughs> but so I'm, cool. I'm also geeked out by the birds too you know i've got my my long lens and taking pictures and at, at the island actually I, I thought i i'm like there's like there's a lizard on crawling around up there so i got out my zoom lens and i uh zoomed in it was a spiny tailed iguana 
Ooh. Nice. So yeah, I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I'm taking pictures of it. We didn't get to go onto the island and climb around or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm just taking pictures from the boat onto the shore, you know. And and there were a few of them that I saw. And and wow. uh, and I, I logged them into Ionat just as a Sonoran, you know, uh, spiny-tailed iguana. And somebody's like, no, that's a, corrected it and said that's a, an Alaska uh, spiny tail, they're they're oh. endemic, just that found Whoa. on that island. So it was like a new wow. you know, new species for me that I hadn't seen before, and it was that's the only place you can see them. So it was kind of wow. cool. Wow, yeah. that's so fun, man! I love yeah. I love the term incidental herping. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> and oh. admittedly, growing up like on those backpacking trips with my dad, that's all it was was like you know you're hiking around, and I'm just always on the lookout for snakes or lizards, and if you yeah. find you know, and then I begging to take something home, you know, yeah, bringing yeah. home rattlesnakes or, you know, uh, spiny lizards or whatever. And, and uh, 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 oh, yeah. Are you guys familiar with um, the, uh, well, the Havasu Falls? The Havasu oh, yeah. In Arizona? I love that place. Uh, so you, and you've been, I imagine then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did, so, I did a second honeymoon there. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. Uh, I went, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, something like that. Uh-huh. And um, what I noticed is that the, did you notice the massive population of those little whiptails of the oh, yeah. whiptail lizards just everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. everywhere, man. Some of them were just mm-hmm. kind of like the little ground squirrels that were everywhere there too. They were chunky, like really yeah. filled <laughs> out, you know, like uh-huh. clearly taking advantage of, of uh, some <laughs> of the tourism. Yeah. 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 Um, so th- this was, this was actually a question that we were thought might come up just a little bit later, but, um, the the interest that you have in in birds and like in viewing you know birding and things like this um has that is there any way in which studying that or paying attention to avian behavior or has influenced your reptile like your herping or any of your keeping in any way or is or is it maybe a little too too mixed in or too disparate or anything like that I think that's a great uh, question. I, you know, let me think about that for a minute. But yeah, that's I, uh, I, I think, yeah, uh, maybe herping has helped my birding maybe a little bit because uh-huh. I, you know, when you get excited about, you know, like reptiles and you're learning about as much as you can and, and discovering new species, in, you know, like for yourself that you've never heard yeah. about or something like that, you know, and yeah. then uh, I, I kind of. Uh, the the birding thing kind of came about my my dad and my cousin were doing this uh, big year competition just between them like who can find the most species in a year and so my my dad's like hey do you want to do this I'm like sure that sounds fun you know because I I didn't really have a good grasp on the birds that are even just around me you know like what I could possibly see and so started to get into this and like man, there are so many resources for birders that herpers yeah. do not have those resources. And I get it, you know, birds can fly away and they're very difficult to catch. Whereas reptiles, you know, people can over collect in an area and kind of ruin it, you know, so yeah. herpers are a little more uh, uh, tight lipped about their spots or where you can mm-hmm. find stuff. Whereas the birders like, oh yeah, everybody come here. There's a, there's a species that usually doesn't occur. Everybody come look at it, you know, and you, and yeah. I, there was like a rare bird alert just up the road from the university. And so I went, I had a conference call. So I just took my call while I'm walking around looking for this bird. (laughs) And like, there's five or six other guys out there just at random time, you know, like looking for this rare bird. And, and it actually flew up and landed in a grapevine and was eating grapes, like right in front of us for a good, you know, maybe two minutes and then it flew away. And like, you know, 
nobody else saw it that day. (laughs) And some of the burgers that came to look for it, you know, weren't there at that time. And so they missed it, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just kind of that. And and I, I get a little competitive. So, you know, I like to, Uh I want to find as many species as I can. So um, I I won the contest that year, not to brag, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) and and I I logged uh, like 245 species in that first year and, and just, um, a lot of, lot of birds to find and a lot of different species, just, you know, like the reptiles, I've always kind of kept a kind of a mental checklist of the things that I've seen. And, you know, in the, in my, uh, uh, reptiles of Australia guidebook. Like I, I marked down where I saw it and, you know, the time and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and so I, I like to kind of keep a record of that, or at least, you know, try to get a picture of the bird. A lot yeah. of, a lot of birders will bird on, you know, just the sound or like, and, and I, I want to be able to see it, you know, I don't want to just hear yeah. a call and go, Oh, that's this, I'm going to log it in, you know, that kind of thing. So that's cool. I don't know. It, a little bit of combat competitive nature, a little bit excitement just for new things, finding stuff. Myself and uh, a few of the guys that I tend, that I fairly regularly, regularly go herp the the South, excuse me, Southwest (laughs) with. um, We have a thing where it's like, all right, uh, who's going to get the first truck waller this year? Who's going to find the first collared lizard? And uh, it's always like whoever finds it gets the, gets their beer and, and, you know, dinner bought for them later that night or whatever. Uh, It's really fun. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I, I didn't get to actually a few of my friends just recently went to Arizona and I didn't get to go because uh-huh. just uh, a lot going on here uh, yeah. late in the season at the shop and yeah. a lot going on just kind of in general here for me anyway. And so I've been seeing everyone else's herping trips and herping photos and just seething with jealousy and, and rage <laughs> because I don't get to I don't get to go yet this season. Uh, and our last uh, the last episode we recorded was with a, a fellow named Brian Minna in Belgium who uh, runs expeditions, uh, herping expeditions for people. Him and his wife, Laura, do it. And Roy and I were uh, kind of bullshitting about the first time he and I, I mean, we're, he and I are good friends, of course, but we're, we still, oddly enough, haven't met in person. And um, mm-hmm. and we're, 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 we're thinking that maybe uh, either Tinley or one of those herping expeditions is going to be where that finally happens and uh i'm i'm gonna hold you i'm gonna compete with you roy if we go to morocco for and, and I, the first person to find a Euromastix gets their beer and dinner bought for them that day oh it, no it's gonna challenges be on you know <laughs> it's gonna be me dude it's definitely gonna be me just because you're no. obsessed with them no <laughs> you know, yeah, you know right. looking seeking seeking makes things elusive my friend you know? i don't think that's true <laughs> haven't you ever heard of the secret <laughs> well, here, here's a story for you on that. We, we were uh, herping in Australia and I took my three oldest kids with me and, and uh, mm-hmm. we were doing this big tour of, you know, Queensland and, and kind of the East Coast and yeah. started in Sydney, drove up to Cairns and then back down again. So it was a lot, a lot of driving, probably a little overambitious, but we, yeah. we were hiking this. Uh, it was the... Uh, Oh, what's the um, area? I always forget this area, but it's up in Cairns, you know, kind of a rainforest type thing. And they have those uh, um, Boyd's Forest Dragons. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they're kind of a, you know, it's like, that was one of the first things I found on my first trip to Australia. Wow. It was like, you know, that Whoa. that thing is still ingrained in my brain, you know, that, that, that uh, seeing it for the first time thing. So I'm like, okay, kids, whoever finds a, a boy's forest dragon first, you know, they get ice cream, you know, that yeah, like, nice. I'll buy nice. everybody ice cream if you find one of these. And so we're walking along this, this uh, trail where I'd seen them a couple times and we, we uh, stopped 
to let some people pass by and we're just kind of standing there. And my daughter was kind of, she was taking it seriously. She was like looking at every tree and looking all over, trying to find these, she wanted to win the ice cream for everybody. And so, yeah. um, and then, so she, she catches up to us cause we're kind of waiting there for her. And she's like, Oh, uh, I thought you guys would be more excited. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, isn't that one of them? And, and, and like I, there was a tree in blocking my view of this Boyd's forest dragon. I kind of looked at her and I'm like, oh yeah, that's one. Good oh job. You know, yeah. So yeah, I, I was looking just as hard as she was, you know, but uh, uh, she, she found it, you know? So yeah, we, we went out and got ice cream after we got done with the hike. But That's so great. Uh, it's, yeah. it's always so interesting the way that like some stuff can just elude you for yeah. years, mm-hmm. years and years yeah. and years. And then some stuff you'll go and 10 minutes out the car, it's right there on a rock. Yeah. Like, well, I guess we found it, you know, like yeah. it's all, almost a little bit of a bummer, but not really, you know, yeah. like, t- that's how my Parenti story went. Like, uh, oh. we were, yeah, cause that's, that was my, you know, number one goal on all my trips to Australia. But, you know, if, of course, when I was in their range, but um, we, just always on the lookout for Parenti, trying to go places where they've been seen before. And, you know, I just didn't see one. And then mm-hmm. we were in Western Australia. Um, I was taking a nap. We were like in this public park and just kind of waiting, you know, uh, waiting for things to cool off a little bit so we could go herping. And we we were tired from the night before of herping. And so I'm, yeah. I'm just laying on my, uh, uh, you know, pad in the, in the uh, park. And all of a sudden Steve's like, dude, there's a Parenti over by the car. And I was like, Whoa. yeah, I did one of those where you're on your back and you flip up and jump on your feet and run. And I'm like <laughs> running before I even wake up, you know, and I'm over to the car and it was just, yeah, crawling under our car and just kind of walking through the parking lot, walking through the park. And like it walked across my sleeping pad, you you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm never gonna. You know, this this pad has been blessed by a parenti kind of. Oh thing. yeah, Hell but we yeah. just sat and took pictures of it and video and just watched it. Wow. You know, and then, and then it it got sick of us and just took off. And I'm like, okay, wow. like, yeah. So those, those I, you know, I'm, I want to see more, but that was a good first intro. To Truly iconic species. Ah, they're the if best. there ever was one, yeah, so amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I always feel like like um, there's a part of me when I'm like out herping that like. I, I take this kind of soft gaze approach. I feel like a lot of the times where I'm kind of, I walk and I'm not really trying to look too specifically at anything. And I'm really just paying attention to my hearing. And a lot of times I'll hear something yeah. before I see it. But um, I was actually down in Arches one time. Oh yeah. With, Love it there. with one of my best yeah. friends. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, only, yeah. This is actually the only time I've been there. And I was with Charlie, who's actually, yeah. um, who edits our audio. Oh, cool. And, um, he and I were walking and he was kind of asking me like, like, what do you, how do you find snakes? Like, what, like, how do you do it? And I was like, well, I try not to like look too hard because I feel like that makes everything harder to find. So I kind of just look for like the right conditions for a snake and hope that I'll come like cross paths with one. And, um, and so we're walking along and then I'm like, see, like over here, like this like little, um, this like ledge embankment over here looks really good. And so we walk over and then there's this beautiful track in the sand. And I was like, okay, let's follow this. And so we start following and it leads like right to this beautiful crotalus con color. Uh, that's how you do it. And he was yeah. just like, what? <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple experiences like that where we were, yeah. we were herping with a big, uh, field herp, you know, uh, uh, herpetology class up at the university mm-hmm. and my buddy was 
um, friends with, or he knew the professor. And so he got me invited on the trip. And so there was like 30 of us looking for reptiles and stuff. So it was pretty cool. But, um, I was walking along the professor, uh, was down kind of in the, in the wash and I was up on top mm-hmm. of the Ridge and we we're just, he was walking below and I was walking above and we were just kind of scanning, looking for stuff. And he's like, you know, we really need to find a, a rattlesnake. And, and then he's like, there's one, you know, it's like, <laughs> just right as he said, that kind of thing, you know, the, similar oh, to what man. you're talking about, you know, like this is how you look for them. And yeah. there's one right there. Yeah. yeah that, that works out really nice. But the, the other one, we were coming we were in St. George down in the Southwest corner of Utah. And, oh, um, and yeah, look, we were in great habitat. We saw, you know, we saw, uh, let's see, a couple desert tortoises. We saw a beautiful nice. long snake just coming out to crawl, you know, as it got dark. And so then we were walking back to the car in the dark and the guys were up a little bit ahead of me and I was just kind of, you know, walking along a little slower. They're younger than me. So they're fast. But, <laughs> and, uh, and, and like we were walking and all of a sudden I hear this, this noise and I'm like, I'm going to go check out, you know, what's making the noise. And so I walk over there and there's this Gila monster just making its yeah. way along. And I'm like, Hey guys, you're going to want to come see this. You know, they kind of walked past it kind of thing. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like Gila monster. And they're like, Oh yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. There's a Gila. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, no, really come back. So yeah. So I, I looked at that that's one I haven't seen yet. Hey, I yeah, get down that, there for those. Yeah. yeah. They're tricky. Yeah. I've, I've only seen yeah. two in like 16 years. So well, <laughs> not that I've the gotten down there right. much, but yeah, they're, they're more early, like springtime. Yeah. Know, like, I, uh, March, I, I April, have, May, June. I have some luck. I have some just pure, pure good fortune with that. I have a friend nice. who has a, a, a reptile ranch in, in, in Arizona, uh, mm-hmm. South of Phoenix. And he has tortoises outside, big, big, big yeah. sulcatas and such. And mm-hmm. the, the Gila's, and all kinds of other herbs just come flock to his place because of the, uh, uh just the, the abundance, right? And the, yeah. and, and all his tortoises lay their eggs in the ground. And so the healers come. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can go, but he'll, when I go, when we go out there, we stay with him and, uh, he's very generous. He's really, really sweet guy. Uh, him and his wife let us stay there and we'll go take laps in the morning and in the evening um, just to go see what's out cruising and we'll pop across, you know, a Gila popping out of a, of a Sulcata burrow, fat as fat, (laughs) (laughs) one big sausage torso. And um, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, It's crazy. I'm I'm a little lucky in that regard, but I've never seen one just out and about, you know, Um, we tracked one for quite a while. Like, you know, they have really uh, distinguished, distinguishable tracks where they have like the big bumpy scales at the, you know, and and so we followed this trail up and down like this rocky hillside, you know, you kind of lose the trail. Okay. Where'd it go? And we're all looking around. Oh, here it comes. You know, and he went this way kind of thing and follow. We we never, we never, it didn't end in a Gila, but you know, it was kind of fun just thinking. I I think that's part of the excitement of, of her being is like just the possibility of seeing them in their environment. Totally. Uh, even if you don't find it yeah yeah it's it's like a i don't know it just keeps pushing and it's like an adrenaline rush kind of thing yeah yeah absolutely i i like uh it's it's sometimes it's it's weird because you know i might be out hiking looking for something and sort of in a lead up to finding something well not always obviously it doesn't always lead to finding something but Mm -hmm. i kind of have this weird habit of like when i'm out field herping kind of paying attention looking around and projecting like fa- projecting a fantasy onto the environment so let's yeah. say i'm walking through some wash in the white tank mountains outside of phoenix 
in the evening. And I'll just imagine like this fantasy in the back of my head of a healer mm. just cruising along the side of the wash. And I'm just like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I, and I yeah. even do, I do stupid, stupid shit. Like, um, this is going to, this is a little embarrassing to admit, but like when we're looking for collared lizards, I'll, I'll walk around and I'll be like, Oh, Hey, they're collared lizards. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> just, just nonsense. And, yeah. but in my head, I'm like, this works. This is going to work. Yeah. You're going to get them to pop out. They're going to be like, ah, friendly German or, you know, Vienna accent. <laughs> they're going to come, they're going to pop out for that. Uh, it's, it's so silly or, or, but then you can have the opposite experience too, where, you know, you can like approach, say like, looking for Chuckwalla maybe, right? Mm-hmm. And you can like, you can see from a distance, you see a rock pile and you're like, that crevice is perfect. It's like mm-hmm. perfect width, perfect angle. There's gotta be a Chuck there, you know, like I, there's flowers uh, growing in the in the bushes, like right, right next to the crevice. I bet a million dollars there's a Chuck in that crevice. And then like 90% of the time you go over there, it's empty. There's no Chuck in the crevice, but sometimes it's there yeah. and you're like, ah, see, I was on. I called it. Yeah. 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 It's but you got to admit the other times you were wrong, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's, it's an embarrassing yeah. ratio for sure. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking, I read this uh, uh, paper where they were talking about, you know, the, they did a, a trial between slowly walking along, looking for stuff and then just cruising a trail like as fast mm-hmm. as you can and encounter rates, you know, how often yeah. you're going to encounter a snake. And they, they found that, you know, when you're just cooking along the trail mm-hmm. and not really going slow, they found more snakes and they thought maybe it's because, you know, you're surprising the snake, yeah, exactly. you know, they yeah. don't see you from far away, so they don't have a chance to get away. So I've thought about that, you know, like, do you, mm-hmm. but there's been a lot of times too, like on this last trip to Arizona where I was just kind of cruising ahead of the guys and, you know, thinking, going with that idea or whatever. And then yeah. all of a sudden they're like, Hey, a rattlesnake back here. You know, I passed yeah. by or something, you know, it was kind of funny, but my, it was this, uh, this, we were looking for uh, price. Eye, the twin spot yeah. rattlesnakes yeah. up in the, up in the Hills. And like, um, we were, so my, uh, Chuck, my co-host on the uh, Reptile mm-hmm. Fight Club, he was kind of behind uh, my my friend Dustin Gron, and and Dustin like Chuck comes up. Dustin was kind of waiting for him because he was a little bit behind. He's like, "What? Oh, I hear, I hear that. What's that rattle? Like, what's that sound?" He's like, "He's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't hear that." And then he's like, "Oh, wait, I do hear it. It's right. It's and it was right like between his legs like, oh. on the ground. <laughs> like, I think it was under like a under a rock, you know, kind of yeah. in a crack or something. He's like, oh, it's right there, right? You know, next oh, to him. Oh, so, man. Chuck got credited with the find, even All though right. Dust was standing right over it. Yeah. It well so, done, yeah. Chuck. Yeah, exactly. Like listening, so awesome. you know, paying attention to what you hear is is yeah, especially if there's rattlesnakes around, like that's, oh, man. that's the best way to find them, you know. <laughs> one of the one of the first times I ever went herping in on the eastern plains of Colorado, mm-hmm. um, I was I was very young. I was like 16 or 17 or something, working at a local reptile shop. And one of the one of my coworkers, who's a he's a great guy, and he was a young guy then. So I'm not mm-hmm. the story I'm about to tell is not in any way meant to like <laughs> kind of throw shade on him or anything because yeah. it, I'm sure we've all made this mistake and didn't even know it. But yeah. we went out looking around, and we had just gotten out of the car maybe five minutes before, and we were walking um, through a patch of grass to get to the the dirt frontage road, and we were mostly looking for western hognose because that's what we wanted to see. Um, and he was telling me before we got there, he's like, you got to pay attention because the prairie rattlers don't, sometimes they don't 
let you know that they're there. Sometimes they just mm-hmm. don't even rattle. They just freeze and don't move. And, and you just never know that they're there. Yeah. And uh, we go walking and I'm walking right behind the guy. Cause I'm paranoid. I'm like, I, if, if anybody stirs anything up, I don't want to be the one who did it. Yeah. He stepped, I watched him step right over the top of a coiled prairie rattlesnake <laughs> and the thing didn't yeah. move. Uh-huh. And I just stopped. And when he, when he got like three, four feet away, I was like, Hey, uh, Hey buddy. And he's like, what? And I was like, you see what you just literally stepped right over the top of? And he around, <laughs> looks down and just goes, Oh, like, <laughs> yeah. it was Oh yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, that's I, their specialty, right? They right, blend exactly. in. Like, yeah. I, I, I had two, two very close calls with Western Diamondbacks doing the same thing. And Western Diamondbacks are pretty high strung. You know, you think yeah. they would rattle you as you got <laughs> close, but yeah, they were silent. And I, and I came with, you know, like I was ready to set my foot down, like, Oh, you know, Diamondback, like yeah. right here, you know, blended Ooh. in perfectly. Yeah. That, oh, you don't want to step have, on that I have, line. <laughs> I have a lot of experiences with that just because mm-hmm. I, I do a little bit of rattlesnake kind of conflict mitigation work here. I have yeah. a little a little thing called rattlesnake relations. And um great name, by the way. And I've dealt with thanks. Yeah, I've dealt with hundreds of northern Pacific rattlesnakes at this point. Uh-huh. And um and I've had several encounters where it's like I, I think that they actually their their kind of primary thing is just camouflage, mm-hmm. and so if they if they are confident that they haven't been seen, they're not so hasty to reveal yeah. themselves by rattling a lot yeah. of the time. And I, I love telling this one story, which was um, there's this pair of rattlesnakes. I think they were both females that lived in um, the stone steps on a very popular trail like the, oh, wow. the trail crew had come through and they had built they had built this on um, these beautiful big stone steps and they had unintentionally made a perfect hibernaculum on this south facing slope in one of these sets of stairs yeah and dozens of people would use this trail every day at least sometimes yeah. hundreds on the weekends you know people come up from san francisco to do this famous hike yeah and these snakes lived there for over a decade mm. and wow. i could go any day of the week and, and, and find them (laughs) within either on literally in the steps or just adjacent, you know, within five feet. And as far as I know, no one ever noticed that they were there. Yeah. That's (laughs) cool. Cause because they didn't rattle. Uh huh. Yeah, in and, high school, um, I, I we were uh, uh, doing a like this big group date thing, and and so we were um, walking up this well traveled trail where a, a ton of people go, you know, and there and there mm-hmm. rattlesnakes are commonly found on this trail, and so and yeah. and we and I was kind of up the front of the group, and then all of a sudden I hear back a snake, you know, so I go running yeah. back, and and there's a rattlesnake, and just right in the trail, I probably walked right over it, like you're saying, you know, yeah. one of those, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm like I my date was wearing like a, a, a sweatshirt tied around her waist. I'm like, can I borrow that? <laughs> <laughs> I tied it off into it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I got to rescue the snake off this trailer. Yeah. It's going to get killed. But I, I took that home and kept it for a number of years. You know, oh my and, God. And it would, it would never rattle. And like, yeah. it just, it just didn't. And, and I think there's kind of been that negative selection um, mm-hmm. uh, with, with people where if they're killing the ones that rattle, the ones that don't rattle survive and have babies exactly. that don't rattle. And so you're going to have a, a, and I believe uh, Terry Phillips was telling me there's a population out there where they're, uh, they have a genetic mutation and their tails are kind of curly 
you know, they, they so they don't have the ability to rattle. And so we're actually selecting for these, um, you know, uh, defect, you know, mutant animals. And so they don't rattle. And and I'm pretty sure we found one of those in West Texas. There was this, again, like I was, I was looking for snakes, walking this cut, you know, and, and, and I, I went right past it. And then I heard something kind of as I, as I was walking up the road a little bit, I heard something. So I went back and there was this big female, you know, diamond bag crawling out of this hole or something, you know, that I totally Whoa. missed the first pass. So yeah, paying, paying attention to your hearing is a really good way to find stuff. Cause they, yeah, oh, they yeah. freeze and our eyes aren't as great as detecting them as we, as I would like them to be, you know, and so <laughs> yeah. hearing them crawl, but yeah, well, I, I, I kind of brought her out a little bit and, and she never, rattled and I looked at her tail and it was kind of like this weird curve Interesting, huh? right right before the rattle and so I'm like I wonder if that's what it is you know like yeah. wow maybe, maybe that's why she's still going but that is so cool wow. it's it's yeah. it's really one of the things that I find so fulfilling about field herping is like the way that that you you really like tune in you know and you everything opens up your sense of smell your eyesight your hearing all of that just opens up and mm-hmm. the number of times something's been found as a result of like you're walking along and you hear a noise that doesn't fit with your footsteps yeah. or you know hears sounds like a rustle or something like that um and you know at the i don't mean to keep going on with these weird little herp stories but um i mean there it's the this is the good stuff best so thing to talk about yeah this is the best <laughs> thing to talk about but um, I was herping with friends looking for Crotophytus vestigium, the Baja collared lizard down uh, on the border of Mexico in Southern California. Yeah. And we were um, hiking. Th- so there's an area where the there's like some spread out um, plain with 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 choya and some creosote and whatever. And um, th- uh, we were looking for baby ba- Bajas mm-hmm. and spotted one on a stone. And uh, through the like, kind of saw it first, and then like spotted it through the binoculars. And um, when I looked back to see it again, the baby was gone, but we could hear and see a little bit of movement around the bush next to the rock. Mm-hmm. And when I looked through my binoculars, to the bottom left of the bush and rock was a leopard lizard, and we um, never seen the the leopard lizards there. Just hadn't seen them yet, mm-hmm. and it was like. Talk about an absolute joy to stumble upon. Now, obviously, that leopard lizard was hunting that Baja, right? Yeah. yeah it was, but it was like, oh man, it was like we didn't see anything else. Like it was obviously chasing him. We don't, we don't know if if it got the Baja. We don't know yeah. what happened. We didn't, we didn't catch the leopard lizard. Mm-hmm. They just scattered uh, yeah. or something. But we, but, we wow. saved a, a lizard's life that way because we were we were hiking up. We just that story about following the Gila tracks. We were headed back to the car and uh, we kind of round the corner and there's this leopard lizard perched up on a choya, like he's oh, hanging man. out on top of it, and he's like he's like in the act of like diving down ch- to chase uh, a I can't remember, it was a whiptail or a, or yeah. a you know, side botch or something. Yeah. And we came around the corner right at that moment. So we kind of catch this unfolding and then he sees us and stops, you know, and stops. Yeah. So, he, so, he, so the leather lizard took off, but um, yeah, he was, he was headed to go eat that lizard and we might actually scared the lizard towards him. So he was like mm-hmm. going to oh. eat it and then he saw us or something. But yeah, those leopard lizards are, they, they're serious business when yeah, it comes to, they can take down a pretty good sized meal, you know? Oh, I guess the yeah, Crotophytus are the same way. The collards yeah. can do the same thing, but yeah, it's pretty cool. 
I had a really wild predator prey encounter like that. It wasn't with reptiles, but it was, I was hiking by myself. I was in this area called the Lost Coast, um, the King Range in northern, northwestern California. And um, I'm on this old logging road and I was passing a lot of bear sign, a lot of black bear sign. And I was, I was just thinking to myself, like this internal dialogue of like, I'm out here alone. And like, I come around a corner and I accidentally get between a black bear and her cubs. Like, what would I do? Like, I'm like, well, I can't out climb a black bear and like, I'm not going to outrun a black bear. So I guess I would just have to stand my ground. And I kind of like complete this internal dialogue. And then, and then this sound just starts crashing toward me through oh. the the underbrush up ahead. And I, I kind of just stop and I'm standing in the middle of this trail <laughs> and like the, the grass and like the shrubs ahead of me, you're kind of sh- sure. tumbling and shaking in this <sighs> moving in a straight line directly at me and out leaps um, from the brush on the side of the trail, a little gray Fox Whoa. And running <laughs> yeah. at full clip straight yeah. toward me. And Ooh. And it's running and then it stops. It, like it, its eyes come up and our eyes meet and it sees me <laughs> and it kind of, and it kind of goes, Oh, and wheels and turns <laughs> around and starts running in the opposite direction. And as soon as it does that, a bobcat oh. leaps out from the side of the brush and nails it just Whoa, right hey. in the middle of the trail. And then the two of them, just tumble off the trail into on the other side of it in That's front of me. And I was crazy. just like, Holy shit. Yeah. What just That's happened? Incredible. <laughs> That's was, amazing. Yeah. That's it was I mean. amazing. And I got a little bit closer to like, cause I could still see part of the Fox, mm-hmm. like just some of its, it's like tail or a leg yeah. on the trail. And I got a little bit closer and this Bobcat hissed. Oh, yeah. And I kind of was like, okay. And I, I just stepped <laughs> back and I was like, you, you got it. You got your yeah. meal and I'm going to leave Good you alone. Lord. But That's it was crazy. It was exhilarating. I was like, I'm yeah. about to get charged by a bear. <laughs> a bear. Oh, we did the same thing in Africa. We were in Ghana um, and, and going on this like uh, tour with, you know, a local guide. And, and we were seeing all these elephant tracks and elephant oh, dung wow. and stuff. And, and we're like, oh, we might get to see a forest elephant. You know, they're out here and there's yeah. obvious signs that they're close. And all of a sudden we hear this huge crashing through the undergrowth and we're, and the guide's like, get down, you know, and, and we're kind of by this, on this trail road thing. And, and we're seeing the, the trees move and all this stuff. We're like, we're going to see an elephant, you know, and all of a sudden these two monkeys come like, <laughs> crashing out, like playing, like chasing and tackling each other and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I guess we're not going to see an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> two really loud, of you know, destructive monkeys. <laughs> it was pretty crazy, but. Those damn primates, uh, man. Yeah, always right. the way. And what, what, um, we were in Western Australia, Herp and my wife and I, and I see something on the road. I'm like, that looks weird. What is going on? So I get out of the road and it's, and, and I'm looking, I'm like, holy cow, it was a Molga trying to wow. peel a DOR a death adder off the road that had been Whoa. like kind of stuck Whoa. to the road. It was trying to peel it up to eat it, you know? And so wow. like, I'm like, Oh, wow. Look at that. You know? And, and, uh, so I'm taking pictures and video and I'm all excited that I get to see this cool, you know, weird natural history event. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the Molga kind of 
sees me and, and freaks out. And co- so it spits it out and takes off. And so I'm mm. like, oh, you know, now I feel feeling bad that I, yeah. Got, yeah. Know, I disturbed his meal. So I peel off the death adder off the road <laughs> on my hook and I walk it over to the mulga and put it in front of it and it kind of smells it. And then it started eating it again. Oh, yeah. So I just gave it to it. And then I just sat there and watched it eat it. I actually uh, put a photo of that in the in the new carpet book, shameless plug, but so there, you know, we, we included a chapter on field herping. And so that, you know, that story's in there. So yeah. (laughs) The the complete carpet Python, right? Yeah. The the more, the more complete carpet Python. Yeah. Second edition. It's out out now. (laughs) Out now. (laughs) Out now. Find it anywhere you buy your books. Yeah. Get it. Get it. Uh, That's it's wild, man. It's so cool to, um, do you know that you guys know the photographer, William Wells? Yeah. Yeah. He mm-hmm. will. That guy is, yeah. he and I have he some other common some ground. Stuff. Yeah, he does. Cause he, he and I both are Brazilian jujitsu practitioners, but oh, wow. um, that gentleman is, is uh he's a ballsy dude. He, he'll go running way, way out into the desert cause he <laughs> runs, you know, and, and he'll go mm-hmm. camping in wild places. And he, 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 he has seen and photographed some incredible, absolutely mm-hmm. incredible encounters and interactions yeah. between animals and stuff. And it's like, uh, I'm a little bit, I, I, I can't lie. I'm, I'm pretty jealous of guys who, you know, put in the kind of time and the kind of legwork to yeah. see and make stuff like that happen because mm-hmm. it's so special when you get those, those moments where you get a peel, yeah. a dead DOR snake off the road and feed it to a wild moment. Like, <laughs> what? That's sick. And, uh, it's yeah, so that's fun. Je- Jeff Lem's the same way. He's got all oh, these yeah. crazy oh, stories yeah. and like sees things and you're like, but then he puts in the time, you know, oh, he's yeah. out there yeah. all the time. So he, he yeah, might be. He might be one of the best herb photographers out there. I mean, I mean, yeah, I there's a lot a of great ones, but he, good lord, he's got some incredible imagery that he's been able to, mm-hmm. to snap uh, over the years. Uh, that's another guy we're gonna we gotta reach out to him and see yeah. if yeah, we do. on the show. I, lo- I love listening to his stories. He's got yeah, some he's got great amazing stuff. stories. Yeah, he's yeah. Cool legendary guy. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, at the risk of changing topics, because this is always so funny. <laughs> We could always, I'm sure we could go on for hours just exchanging fun herb stories. But, um, so you are one half of the Reptile Fight Club podcast. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've listened to almost every single episode. It's really, really yeah. entertaining. Oh, um, yeah. Really great show. Can you, uh, tell us a little bit about how that show came to be? And, um, so like how, how you guys came up with the idea? Was it you or Chuck or both? And then secondarily, how did you come to know Chuck? Uh, and how did you guys do that whole thing? Yeah. So, um, uh, so I, I thought, you know, especially during the pandemic, you know, I, I enjoy listening to podcasts and I, I started a podcast a while ago and it was just me, um, reading a scientific paper and then kind of talking about it, you know, and just like, uh, I don't know, just my thoughts on it or or kind of what the data showed or whatever. So, and I, it was, uh, called herpetological discussions. And so I, I released a few of those and, you know, I was just, I, I, just didn't have the, or didn't make the time to do it, you know? And, okay. and so it kind of fell by the wayside. And, and then actually two uh, British guys uh, did a similar podcast where they talk about, yeah. you know, scientific research. Yep. And, yep. and, they, and they do uh do a much better job. So I said, okay, now they, somebody's doing it, you know, that was kind of an idea that, and then I thought, well, I, I want to do a podcast again, but I don't want to do, you know, the, the podcast that's been done a lot of 
at times and, you know, no, no offense or you know, like that. I, I love listening to all these podcasts, but, it, but I was like, I just want to do something just a little bit different. So I'm thinking, what could I do? And, you know, I'm thinking oh, it'd be, you know, what do people like, you know, they wa- like watching UFC or, you know, different fights and things like that. So, um, and, you know, the, the rare uh, cool guy are the ones that get into those, you know, and, and uh, engage in those fights, right? You feel, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, so I thought, you know, how, how can we, how can we do this? And, you know, I didn't really want to have true fights of people just yelling at each other or something. Sure. Cause I, I've had a few of those with, with other herpers or whatever. Yeah. Like, this is not fun or enjoyable to listen to. It's just a lot of profanity <laughs> both ways. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'm like, you know, we can, there, everybody sees things differently, you know, and people have different experiences that lead them to different conclusions. And so maybe we talk about both sides of an issue because it's never really completely one-sided. It's never like a slam dunk, like this is the only way to do it. You know, there's always a lot of ways to look at things and think about things. And so I thought, "Ah, let's, let's give that a go. And so, um, and, and Chuck and I go way back. So we were members of this uh, forum uh, back in the day called the Morelia Python Forum. Yeah, 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 of course. And so we we uh, were we met through that, you know, just making posts online and stuff. And then um, I was uh, business partners with Ben Morrill, and we yeah. decided to do some of the NARBC shows. And so, um, and then you know, I, it, that's the great thing about the reptile community is when you have people with similar interests. You know, you kind of. Yeah. You know, you usually link up online and, you know, meet each other online, kind of like you got, you, you said that you hadn't yeah. met in person, but you know, yeah, we, uh, we meet these people online and kind of develop those relationships. And then we finally get to meet them in person. And sometimes they're like, yeah. oh, that's what this guy looks like. You know, I'd never, <laughs> never seen a picture or anything. You know? <laughs> that was my first encounter with uh, Nick Mutton. Like I had never seen a picture, but all these posts on the forum. And then I meet him like, oh, that's not what I was picturing. You know, like it looks <laughs> different than I thought, but, um, <laughs> Chuck, uh, so Chuck hung out at our table and he actually vended a couple of shows with us too as well. So like, yeah, we got to be friends that way. And Chuck's just a great guy. Like he's, he's, uh, um, very passionate and gets really excited and, you know, like he, he, he'll tell it how it is. And he's like a, a Navy guy or. I hope I got that right. I'm pretty sure he was in the Navy. But I mean, I, I'll be in trouble if I got it wrong. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just let you hear it. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, you know, he's very passionate about, you know, his his views. And we, you know, he was one of the few guys that I would talk to regularly on the phone. You know, we'd just call and talk for hours and just talk about stuff, you know. And so yeah. he'd, he'd get really like, you know, up and you know, up in arms about different subjects and stuff. I'm like, Chuck would be perfect for this. So, you know, I asked yeah. him and thankfully he said, yeah. And so we, awesome. yeah, um, it's, it's, and he's a, just an integral part of the show. Like it wouldn't yeah. be the same without him for sure. So it's, it's so been fun. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a great idea. I love the, I love when you guys, you know, you, you, you discuss the, the topic that you're going to talk today, talk about that day. And then I love the coin toss and I love <laughs> that the coin toss is, you know, like the fact that you're not going to just, I mean, obviously I know that sometimes you guys will kind of rig it. So that way, you know, if, if say someone wanted to, you know, like in my case, if I wanted to come on and talk about cohabitation and then I make a big mistake and, and think I'm having to argue in favor of cohabitation, which is not, that was my bad, but, um, I love that it it's more random because you know you it's I think it's really really good to 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 steel man the the, the opposite side of what you actually yeah. think 
if you can't if you can't articulate your opposition if you can't articulate that position very well then you're probably not gonna be a very good it's probably not gonna be a very good conversation you know and And conversely if you if you can't see that there's merit to the other side if you think the way i do things is the only way i always i don't know i liken these kind of like politics right you got (laughs) democrats and republicans and they always argue and fight about things and this guy's an idiot we need to do it my way because that's the only way kind of thing and (laughs) and, you know i I liken those kind of things to like a marriage like if you're telling your spouse like the way I do it is the only way, and that's the only way we're going to do it. And so just get on board. How long is that marriage going to last? You know, not very yeah. long. You know, so, you know, we, we need to adopt that attitude with a lot of these things where, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, especially with difficult topics, you know, where, right. where, where and, politics, and, religion, whatever, you know, you, you need to be able to consider that there's, there's merit to the other view on that, that subject. So, well, and, yeah. And especially with herpeticulture, because um, something that we've not just Roy and myself, but many of our guests thus far on the show have talked about is, um, you know, opinion based herpeticulture. Yeah. So much of what people are doing at the end of the day. And um, I've, you know, it's such a great counterbalance to the vitriol and one sided and um, sort of echo chamber like. Um, ecosystem of say Facebook groups and um, you know, or, you know, kingsnake.com forums or fauna for, you know, whatever they're they're so, those can be so um, tribal. And that's one, one of the things that I really love about your guys' show is you guys will bring on one or a few people to talk about various topics. And you guys do such a good job of getting people who are both um, sort of larger figures within a niche uh, you know, say genre or, or, or something within her pediculture, but you also get on people who are just, just, just interesting, maybe yeah. less known individuals in her pediculture too. It's really, really nice. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just a little quick apology to our listeners. Uh, just like in the last episode, I'm still recovering from this stupid cough. Um, but it's such a, a wonderful thing. Um, and I've always gotten something out of your shows because there have been some where I'm like, hell yeah, like that's that's exactly the way I think. Or 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 maybe you or Chuck or your guest pointed out something that I hadn't considered at all. Yeah, or absolutely. Or or like when you guys get together in a group and you guys are all talking to you know, bash in the morph game, and I'm like, all right, all right, all right. let's just let's just <laughs> bump the brakes a little bit here. You know, yeah. I'm just kidding. But uh yeah, no, it's it's uh, awesome, man. It's and that's I mean, that's kind of what uh, we we encourage just people to send in ideas and and if they do, we invite them on the show. And so Phil, you know, you 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 did that. You you made yeah. a suggestion. We're like, okay, you gotta come on and fight it. And you're like, oh. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, it was it was great. We've had you on a couple times, and I've yeah. I, and I really enjoyed those conversations with you. You know, and yeah. and getting to see kind of the other perspective, and and I mean, everybody's got a different view. It. I think one of the things that really got me thinking down those lines was uh, um, getting green into green tree pythons. Right, I was gonna hmm. just get a couple of green trees and try it out, and so I was. Well, I. I uh, my my business partner Ben and I we bought a pair of green trees back in the day, right? Just mm-hmm. juveniles, or maybe it was just a single animal. And uh, you know, Ben kept it and kept it how 
all the stuff on the internet and everything told you to keep it, you know, hot, yeah. and humid and all that kind of stuff. And it, it didn't fare well, right? It, the mm-hmm. animal ended up dying. And so it was like, you know, that's, and so we were like, well, maybe green trees are just too much for us right now, you know, and so we won't mess with those. But then I went over and visited uh, Terry Phillip up in, uh, mm-hmm. he, he works up at Reptile Garden. He, um, we were talking about green trees and he had a bunch of them and he's like, oh yeah, they're the, about the easiest snake you can keep. You just kind of forget <laughs> about them and they thrive, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, that, that doesn't jive with what everybody says, you know, and how, yeah. how, and he's like, oh yeah, all that stuff is garbage. Like, that's not the way you keep a green tree. Like, and so I'm like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I can keep green trees, you know? And then I was in Australia and we went up to the iron range and found a couple out mm-hmm. in the, out in the habitat. And, and I'm like, you know, out there herping in this, in this rainforest. And you always have this idea of rainforest is, you know, hot and tropical, wet and, you know, um, and, and I'm out there and I'm like, and it's like 75 degrees in here. It's not hot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of actually yeah. a little chilly. And, and yeah. you know, we were there in the springtime. So it was a little colder than it maybe gets, but looking on the, you know, the weather apps and stuff like those, those areas where green trees are found are pretty consistently pegged at 85 or 75 to 82, you know, like that's, they don't really get much hotter or colder than that year round, you know, and it's just the amount of water differs. And so, you know, it kind of got me thinking that way and then thinking about what Terry was telling me and, and kind of what I saw in the wild. And then I'm like, man, you know, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about green tree pythons. And so that was kind of the impetus for that. Uh, the other, another book, uh, another shameless plug for the, yeah, get it. You know, the, um, the green tree python book, uh, available on Amazon, but you know, the, yeah, buddy. Yeah. And, and Terry was nice enough to co-author that with me and kind of, I mean, I, I credit kind of the thinking process to him anyway. So like, you know, that was a really good exercise and I, you know, just to kind of think about, think outside the di- uh, the box and kind of make paradigm shifts of, you know, how are we keeping these animals and does it, does it correlate with how they have survived in the wild for millions of years, you know, that kind of thing. And and a lot of times those two things don't mix. And, you know, granted, there's probably, uh, there's probably, you know, like keeping something in, in captivity and domesticating something. Yeah. They're not going to behave the same way they do in the wild or they're not going to need necessarily everything they get in the wild. Terry always would say, you know, you don't shovel snow into your uh, rattlesnake enclosure because they experience snow in the wild. Like that's not Mm -hmm. something they need to thrive, but Mm -hmm. you know, that cool down period might be something they need, you know, know, sand snow, but um so, you know, just those, those ideas that like, oh, we've got it all figured out. We, I've got a care yeah. sheet. I can do this all. <laughs> I don't need to change anything because I've got a care sheet. And so yeah, you know, yeah. it's alive and it's, it's doing fine and it bred for me. So therefore, you know, this is the perfect way to keep it, you know, that, and, and a lot of times those, those, uh, longstanding herpetological, uh, myths or, or, you know, we kept it this way in the seventies. And so we're not going to deviate from that because it was successful then, but you know, that the animals they were dealing with were much different. You know, they were mm-hmm. imports that had come over on a boat after, yeah, oh, yeah. Months, you know, and they're, they're not going to yeah. do well. It's almost like you have to put them on intensive care, but does that mean you need to keep every green tree python on, on intensive care or yeah. you know, that kind of thing? So you know, I, I've, I've had a few learning curves. And, and so, yeah. you know, I think we all go through that where you think, oh, this is the way to do it. And then you do it that way and you find out, ah, this may, this could be better, or I could yeah. change this, you know, and then that's when real advances in herpeticulture are made is when we question what everybody's oh. been doing. 
And and granted, I mean, that's a little bit risky because you could end up the other way and have it work out worse than it would have if yeah. you would have just followed the care sheet or something. So yeah, it's a yeah, tricky it's, thing. It, it, it's wild. It's like, there's so much of, um, sometimes at least I, I relate to that a lot because I feel like I do a lot of combating that just with Euromastics in particular, you know, mm-hmm. the, the number of people who, and it's not their fault. This isn't meant to you know, disparage anybody just asking a question because I, anytime someone asks, I try to respond to pretty much everybody who, uh, who, uh, messages me on, on any of the social media platforms about Euromastics, but they'll say, I feel like I'm doing everything right. I got it. You know, the basking spots pegged at 145 and I'm feeding them seeds and lentils and, and all these rich greens Mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. And, you know, I got two of them, you know, it's 1.2 and all this stuff. And I have to be like, temp's too high. Get, get rid of the seeds and lentils and split them solo. And people are just flabbergasted. They're like, every care sheet, except yeah. for yours, says to do it this way. And I'm like, that's why I'm the only, you know, I mean, like, and I'm not yeah. the only one, but like, that sounded really arrogant. That's not what it's meant to sound like. But, you know, there's a reason that the guys who wrote those care guides aren't doing it anymore. And some of it's totally unrelated to herpeticulture, but some of it's like, it didn't work. It doesn't, that's yeah. not the right way to do it anymore. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it can be really hard to go out on a limb and say the way everyone's told you to do it is not the right way to do it anymore. And you need to mm-hmm. shift your thinking. And it's, unless you have, um, some, you know, significant results to show for your methods, then it's even harder to make that claim, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, or I, I can't even imagine like someone like Roy here who, you know, is, is killing it with these Polycris marmoratus and like, there's not that many people doing what you're doing. And it, it's got to be so challenging sometimes to come, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's similar for you, Roy, mm-hmm. uh, in that vein or not, but it can be quite the uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, Particularly when like, you know, you have, you have some idea, you think of what is contributing your, to your success, you know, and like, there's a huge caveat here in that like, um, I have had success with Marmoratus, but it's also really early in the game. You know, it's, sure. I've been working with them for three years and yeah. only been breeding them for two years and still, um, just saying, but, but that's more than anyone else right now, you know? And, yeah. um, a lot of times it's like, the things that I have to say when people ask me, like, how did you get yours going is not what they want to hear. Right. (laughs) You know, and that's, that's where the uphill battle is, which is that like, well, I kept them, I kept them separate. Um, I had an automatic misting system on them, even during quarantine. Um, You know, I didn't treat them with a bunch of um, meds right away. I focused on actually getting them feeding first and, um, you know, all of those things on some level kind of go against how people usually do it yeah. with, uh, with bringing in lizards. They're just like, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of them into a, into a vivarium and do hope a shotgun best. treatments and hope for the best. And it's like, yeah. that's not going to work with these lizards. Like not, not at least not in the condition that they arrive in. I think that like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how, you know, the captive bred and born babies that I've produced are, they're basically a different animal. You know, mm-hmm. than the wild caught. They're, yeah. they're much more durable and much more tolerant of that kind of thing, but yeah. not with these 
traumatized little green beans that arrive <laughs> from Suriname each year. <laughs> it seems like you know nobody should be looking for a recipe, right? We yeah. should be no. looking for some guidance. Like, uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily start from scratch. Like, you right. know, yeah. but, but I, I do think, you know, keeping any any species requires some basic understanding of their natural history, you know, what they're doing in the wild. And that can be tricky because most, there's probably not very many papers on, you know, different, yeah, different yeah. types of, and species. And, and it depends on what the researchers are looking for. Like some papers I read, I'm like, I didn't get anything out of that as far as, you know, how I can improve my herpeticulture. But, right. uh, you know, s- some are like hidden gems where you read them and you're like, Oh man, that that was kind of went along with the Green Tree Python book as I was reading these papers, and there was a big um, like study that was done on them for several years, and all these papers were coming out. I believe it was Wilson was the uh, author on those, and then Natush uh, followed up, mm-hmm. you know, with more mm-hmm. studies, and so I was learning all these great things about green trees in the wild, and I'm like this make, you know, this is not, this does not go along with how everybody's keeping them. And, and so, you know, that, those kind of things, you have to be willing to, to learn on your own and to dig in and to, to find, you know, more than one thing. And I think that's like we were talking about earlier with the podcast, like with, Mm -hmm. you know, people get this idea of this is how it is and there is no deviation from this. And so if we have that dogmatic view with how we keep our reptiles, a lot of times that's going to lead to failure. You know, you might be able to succeed with some of the easier stuff, but, and and some species are easier to keep and they do better, you know, in, in like, I don't know. There's things that that can thrive in in human disturbed areas, you know, and they oh, probably yeah. they probably would thrive in captivity too, or you know, and the, a lot of these like looked at as just garbage species because they're everywhere and and they're easy to keep. And it's like, well, no, that's kind of a good thing, you know. Yeah. Why, why do you not want to? You know, I, I keep those little morning geckos, and and uh, oh, yeah. and I mean, they're parthenogenic. They can just establish a population with one female, kind of thing. What a cool yeah. little biology lesson in a cave you know but um just just that attitude of like this is the way to do it and there's no other way like anytime you see any of that like this is how you do it and if everything's just regurgitating the same thing you know it's hard for people to go well wait maybe i shouldn't feed lentils or seeds you know there's no impetus for that unless you know phil comes along and puts out a a different care sheet that says something different and i would suggest Mm -hmm. that if if you're reading and then all of a sudden you see something that drastically differs you know, maybe pay attention to that or, or ask the person like, what's, you know, why did you say that? Or why don't you feed lentils or why don't you feed seeds? You know, those kind of things. Yeah. And you're going to do better if you're, if you're kind of have that intellectual curiosity and, you know, that, uh, that, that looking for knowledge and, you know, you're, you're going to do better in all aspects of life. I would just say this is not limited yeah, to totally herpeticulture, agree. you know, totally. learn about everything. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of curiosity and wonder can go a long way yeah. in, in, when it comes to learning. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if you can cultivate that kind of just, yeah, just curiosity, I think is such a, it's such a rich attribute to try and nurture in, in a person. Well, yeah. and, it, and it goes, I mean, it's that old adage, right? Uh, teach somebody to fish rather than just giving them a fish. And this actually probably leads into a really great question that, uh, that Roy uh, this was Roy's, so I uh, yeah. ask it on his behalf. But um, we, 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 the question is: Do, do you feel that there is a, a lack of scientific understanding in herpeticulture? And if so, uh, what are some ways that 
you feel that the hobby could better apply scientific uh, or science or the scientific method to what we do? Oh man, that 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 question plagues me. Like it really, <laughs> it's so difficult because I think people are adverse to real education. Like they don't want to mm. sit and learn about things. They want to be entertained. So mm. when they go to like oh, a, wow, a display yeah. or something, they want to see the animal eat something or they want to see it do right. something. You know, if it's just sitting or, or doing natural behavior, I mean, snakes 99% of the time are just sitting around. They're not, yeah. out, <laughs> you know, fighting or biting or eating something, you know? So, and yeah. I think, I don't know, like I, I, I I enjoyed Steve Irwin and I like his programs, but I think he's responsible for a lot of this. Um, what's the word? Just that crazy sensationalism. Like, sensationalism. sensationalism. Yeah. I hate yeah. sensationalism, and it, I think it. I I would say that's probably the antithesis of education is sensationalism mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know you you kind of you're not learning. I mean, they, they try to throw in facts and things like that. And I get it. You know, you got to get people's attention and that's Mm -hmm. hard to do, you know, but I think if you're out there looking at different species and, and, and researching or before you buy something, looking into them, uh, you know, if you're just watching YouTube videos about how people are, are, you know, like somebody having their leopard gecko eat a, a, bug or something, you know, just seeing, you know, if they're not teaching anything, you know, that's, that's just, that's just fun. You know, that's not Mm -hmm. really, you're not really learning too much. I mean, not that you can't learn something from watching them, you know, do their thing, but I, I don't know. I think, I think most people just want to be entertained these days. And so they want to keep an animal to be entertained rather than yeah. mm-hmm. out of a, a drive to learn more, to keep the animal happy and healthy. And hopefully it morphs into that. You know, I hope that yeah. um, you know, there's, there's, and it's not all just one-sided, like nobody's buying it just for strictly for entertainment, but I would probably challenge people on that. Like, Mm-hmm. Are you keeping it for you or are you keeping it for it? Or, I mean, there's got to be a little bit of a mix there, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's, learn about it. You know, if you, yeah. if you don't want to read about, if you're not excited to read about what this animal does in the wild or you yeah. know, even, even care to, and, and maybe that's just because I'm biased that way. I don't know. My, my dad got me, uh, he, he uh, got me this secondhand herpetology textbook. And I was like in fourth grade or something like that. And you know, there was like a reading con. He said he brought it home to kind of like, Oh, this'll, this'll slow him down a little bit. You know, ah. this, this isn't, and he said like, I, the fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I sat and read that book all summer long. And like at the end of the summer, I had all my, my, you know, taxonomy mapped out for all my pets that I had. And like, I was wow. seeing how they, you know, fit into the grand scheme of things and like knew a little bit of their natural history and stuff. And so I think, yeah, that education just can really advance things in, in a lot of ways and where we just like, Oh, you know, I've got the care sheet, I've got the recipe, I can just keep it. And that's all I need and not, not read or learn anything else. I think we're short, we're short, uh, changing ourselves as well as the animals. Mm, Yeah. There's just something exciting about, knowing what they're doing in the wild and then seeing that in captivity, it just gives you just that added layer of, of keeping, keeping these, you know, animals in, in captivity. A lot of times I, I struggle with that because, you know, philosophically it's, it's, we're, I mean, we are getting something out of it and I think they get something out of it. Hopefully if we're keeping them, 
you yeah. know, the correct way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I'm like, man, I, I've got this in too small of an enclosure. I've got, you know, like yeah. I feel bad about it. <laughs> like, and I'm trying to make changes to improve that over time, but it's hard. It takes time. It takes mm-hmm. money. It takes, you know, effort. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just got to uh, be, be okay with, you know, the fact that I do care about that, that I do yeah. want to improve that. And I think as long as we have that attitude, you know, I, I don't want to shame people who, don't really care about their natural history, but I, I question the motives, you know, like are yeah, you just right. doing this for sensationalism? Or are you doing this because you have a, a genuine fascination and you care about the animal? And, and I, and I know a lot of people who have kind of left herpeticulture because they feel like I'm just contributing to kind of a, you know, a, a cycle of death, you know, like most of the yeah. animals that we sell, you, I try not, I try not to think of that just because of my own, you know, my own peace of mind. But like, yeah, you think about all of all the animals I've sold, how many are still alive and kicking mm-hmm. today or, and you know, a, a lot of animals have died in my care and not, mm-hmm. not because of a lack of interest or, or care, but just, you know, when you're keeping live animals, death happens and that's yeah. like part yeah. of it. But I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated subject, you know, but I, I would yeah. say that, you know, I would, I would shy away from like, let's support the things that are more educational and less sensational. That's yeah. uh, my take home, I guess, from that. Very All well. My rambling. No, <laughs> I think that you're preaching to the choir. It's okay. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. you guys are on that same page for sure. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, um, you know, you, you know, you spoke to so many things there that resonate with me on a d- on a deep level. You know, the um, every time I've decided to take on a new project or try some, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get some pictus geckos for Christ's sake. You know, years mm-hmm. ago, uh, nothing was more fun than like, you know, planning out the the purchase. You know, having a hundred different tabs open from care guides <laughs> to PDFs of wild you know, like mm-hmm. field studies to, yeah. to, to photo galleries from people who've been doing it for 10 years. Like yeah. that, that was such a, 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 a an in, integral part of the process for me in acquiring a new animal or taking on some new challenge. And, um, you know, uh, another thing too, is that, you know, you, we, we talk a lot about the, um, I mean, this will come up a little later in, in the show, but like why we do this thing and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of like, the consequences around what we do and um, some of, some of the guilt that we all carry uh, knowing that, that there's a, a percentage of the animals that we produce and, and put out there in the world that aren't going to go where they should. And, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent, it, you know, there's like, like a, there's a certain amount of, of hand-washing you can do around that. Um, one way that I've kind of started thinking about it recently is like, you know, in the same way that people talk about the domestication of things like corn or soy or mm-hmm. dogs or chickens or any of these species that have, um, you know, attached themselves to us, uh, whether that's by our choosing or just by pure accident or, a, or a, a utility or, or whatever. Um, I think that, that a lot of these exotics uh, of various types are kind of in a process of doing that. And anytime an animal takes on a new environment, there's loss. And it's not a justification. It's not an excuse. Um, I agree with you that people ought to do their absolute best to do well by themselves and, and by the animal, more importantly. Yeah. Um, that that should go without saying, in my opinion. And I think in, in amongst 
folks like ourselves and, and other dedicated herpeticulturists, it does go without saying, but um, it's a, it's a complicated circumstance, but it plays into everything that we do because it's not as simple as the best way to do it is to exactly replicate the natural environment. That's useful, but it is not the end all be all. It's sure. also not the end all be all to say, well, it thrives in this sensory de- deprived space and we're getting breeding all the time. And, you know, uh, they're super chunky and they eat every time I throw something in there. That's also not a, a an affirmative. That's not like a, um, right. that is not the totality of your result. Mm-hmm. And, and there, 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 there's going to have to be, or at least, uh, a, 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 a theory that I'm kind of working with is that there's gotta be some merger of the two mm-hmm. where there's, a you know, some kind of combination of the naturalistic environment, the, the evolutionary history of that animal coupled with where it's living now and what it's doing here. And the two things are going to cross at some point, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a weird place to be because in some regard, herpeticulture is still really a wild west. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of getting, I'm, I don't know exactly, I don't have the, this isn't a fully formed thought or anything. Well, <laughs> you just, point. yeah, you just stimulated a great thought in my mind. Cause uh, I mean, I work <laughs> at a, an agricultural university, right? It's the state school. And so there's a large focus on agriculture. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I go to all these talks on, you know, cattle, you know, how to, how to more efficiently yeah. feed them or how to introduce nutrients and things like that. And I mean, I would say there's probably no better studied species than mm-hmm. those domesticated right. animals that we have. And there's, right. I mean, the level of research and understanding and, and, and study that goes into these things. And I mean, granted, it's tied to an economy, you know, sure. we, we want to be able to, to keep them more efficiently, spend less on them, but get more you know, production out of them, that kind of thing. And I think, Mm. you know, herpeticulture moves that way a little bit. You know, the ball python industry is a great example of that. And, and, you know, no judgment on whether that's bad or good, but, um, you know, if, if we're doing it right, we're increasing our education, we're increasing our studies, we're increasing our, you know, knowledge on the subject because it does improve the health of the animals. And that in turn can improve our, uh, you know, bottom line or, you know, the, the money we make from the animals and things like that. And it will stimulate that economy of herpeticulture and, you know, whether, right. whether you like that aspect of it or not, it's, it's there and it's an important aspect, you know, it helps us legitimize in the eyes of the government or whatever, you know, cause we're, yeah. cause there, there are dollar signs attached to the, to the industry as well. And, and, you know, all the, yeah. the supporting products, you know, the, the uh, meal, you know, the, the, the powder diets that we feed our crested geckos or things like that. You know, I, I, uh, hung out with Alan Rapashi on a couple of herp trips and now visiting him and stuff. And like, that guy is a, is a, he's amazing. Like the things that he's done and, and, you know, he, he's, he's just an amazing person. And, uh, but like hearing him talk about the study and the effort that went into developing those initial diets, you know, really impressive and like totally, yeah. he does stuff the right way you know but but does that mean it's done you know he made one product and so i'm sure he's improved that and he's learning more and trying to develop better products as he goes on and you know there's again there's that uh 
it's, it's hard because, you know, yeah, sometimes the best things cost the most money. And I've had a lot of discussions. I've got another friend that's a, a doctor, right? And we're, we talk about healthcare and, and the costs yeah. associated. Yeah. And he kind of gives the example of like, when we, when we advance in medicine, like we develop these new technologies, they could be maybe a couple percent more accurate than the old ways, you know, but yeah. they also cost 10 times as much. Right. And where we live in a litigious society, the doctor doesn't want to give you the one that's 2% less accurate because then they open themselves up to, you know, lawsuits and things. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's really complicated by the money part aspect of it. And then the insurance companies jump in and that's just a, you know, complete nightmare. His yeah, idea yeah. was like, you know, we could control the costs of health insurance if we let people choose like a, like a, you know, McDonald's menu, he go in and you say, yeah. You know, this test costs a thousand dollars. This test costs five dollars. Which test mm-hmm. do you want? You want the value menu mm-hmm. test? You know that the, the yeah. will get you. You know, ninety five percent accuracy. Or do you want the thousand dollar test that you know? And you get to pay the difference or something. You know, you get to yeah. pay percentage yeah. of that. And so if you're choosing the $5 value uh, test, you can afford it and you don't have to worry about it as much. But if you're paying the thousand dollar one, you know, it's, you know, that's, that's when we have those, those, uh, I don't know, I, I won't get into that, but you know, yeah. that, that, that aspect of like, as we improve, we also get into more complicated areas of, you know, yeah, this is better or, or maybe this is better in certain circumstances, but not in all. And so even, even people like Alan Rapashi are say, probably seeing flaws in the old diets or, or like mm-hmm. and sure. wanting to improve on that and things like that. And so I think, you know, we can never say, okay, we're done. Herpeticulture yeah. is good. We just need to follow this care sheet and everything's good. If we're still doing studies on bovine, you know, cow uh, feed and, and efficiency and stuff. I, I don't think these the the questions are settled with reptiles where we're, like you said, just kind of in oh, the yeah. early stages, the early development. Yeah. I mean, how long have cows been in, in you know, yeah. domestication? And, and we're still learning things. We still don't know everything. We're still trying to figure these things out. And it's, you know, people's jobs at the university yeah. to figure out how to better, more efficiently get, you know, your cow, it's nutrients, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, there's always something new to f- discover and find out. And and it's such a fun, I mean, it's such a fun process. I mean, even ourselves, even humans, we're still not, we still all kinds of crap that we're finding out. It's like, it feels like every year it's like, well, you should probably take ice baths like every, you know, a few, every few days, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you should Wim Hof it a little bit or, you know, or fasting, or, you know, or fasting. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Right. And they're more healthy for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, um, there is like a short sightedness sometimes I think in, in, in mm-hmm. herpeticulture in particular. And, you know, we've, we've kind of tap, tap danced or, you know, touched on the topic just a little bit, a couple of times through the conversation, which is like, if the animal eats and lives and then breeds the next year and then the babies don't die right away, success. And it's like, okay, yeah, kind of, it's a kind of success. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's one step, you know, Mm -hmm. but like, just as an example, um, in, you know, with my Euromastics, something that's come up this year and just this year, this is my, I don't know, my 12, 11th or 12th year hatching and breeding euros. I'm getting just a few animals, older animals, like adult animals with, um, some, sca- like some tail whorl deformations, like the, mm-hmm. the, the tail scales are curling in a way that 
I don't know what the hell's happening. I don't know why I've been consulting with a couple of vets about what's going on. It doesn't seem to be hurting them in any way. But when you look at wild photos, I don't see any old euros with curled tail whorls, you know? So what, what is causing that? There's theories about, well, is it a, a humidity problem that's, that's coming up when they're shedding that's causing the tails to just take an abnormal shape because they're not getting the right situation. Is it, related to the fact that they're jamming themselves into too tight of hides and the tail spikes are catching against the hides and then staying that way for too long. Mm -hmm. Is it, Mm -hmm. is it something else? Is it fat loss? Is it, I, I have no idea. And it's, this is a problem that I would never have encountered had I not gotten just North of a decade in to working with the same, (laughs) same group of animals. And, Mm. you know, you could look at it like shit I, I fucked up. Something's wrong. I got to figure. No, the right answer is this is a fun new problem to solve. The, mm-hmm. the fact that I had to go, huh, why the, why the hell is that happening? That's awesome. That's when sh- that shit's going to happen. And when, mm-hmm. you know, when you've been doing it for an extended period of time, those salient events are fewer and further between, you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's sort of like a law of diminishing returns in a way. And, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that like, I'm sure that people such as Alan with the crested geckos or let's say um, Josh and Tracy at Phantom Dragon or uh, uh, Ron and Heather at Fairy Tale, who've been breeding bearded dragons for multiple decades, maybe they had some similar experiences, right? They noticed things were working great for a decade and then at year 10, something happened. Or what, you know, we, we also had a, uh, at the time of this recording anyway, our next releases an episode with Philippe de Vaugelet. And he, I, I remember a few of his talks where he was talking about how um, like the albino leopard gecko mutation kind of reinvigorated that captive mm. propagation of that species. And it's like, they were encounter. you know, he mentioned them encountering inbreeding depression at a certain point. It's like, okay, this is a really important moment because mm. something here has happened. And the fact that I don't, th- I feel like so much of her pediculture is not it's, it's short notice. It's short uh, time horizons, you know, and, and um, maybe this, this might be a good time to ask about because Justin, you're a virologist is the correct title, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Has your uh, study and career in virology Mm -hmm. impacted how, if at all, has it impacted or interwoven with herpeticulture and herpetology for you? Yeah. Well, just as you were talking, my mind's like thinking, mm-hmm. okay, so yeah, it could <laughs> yeah, be yeah. this, it could be that, you know. And I think in, you know, in, in herpetoculture, a lot of times we will um, make hypotheses, but we forget that hypotheses are meant to be tested. Yeah, you know? right. You can say <laughs> it's this and then, and then, okay, we solved the problem. It's this, you know, it's yeah. inbreeding depression. That's all it is. We don't need to worry about that anymore. We figured it out. We just need to outcross, you know, but maybe yeah. it was an inbreeding depression. Maybe uh, we're making the wrong assumption. And, you know, mm-hmm. some of those tests will show that, oh, that wasn't the process. Now, that's, that's what we were kind of talking about earlier is we don't, we're not very good at correcting those <laughs> mistakes of the past or, or, or false hypotheses of the past, you know, hypotheses that have been tested and, and found out that that was wrong. And that's, you know, that's how science works, right? You make a hypothesis and then you test it to see 
if if it's true, you know, if there's evidence to support its truthfulness. And then you don't just stop with one study, you know, you keep looking and keep, you know, you gather information from other people. Now that's often complicated in herpetoculture with the, the money aspect, right? You don't want to, you know, give up your trade secrets because then every time you sell an animal, you're just creating a competitor and stuff, you know, yeah. there's a lot of people who look at it that way. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate because that means, um, you're the only one that knows how to do it. And what if you get hit by a bus? You know, at work, we always talk right. about the bus effect. You know, what happens yeah. if if I get hit by a bus? Is, is my work going to be able to go on because I've left mm-hmm. enough information for people to continue that going on? You know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I, I like the idea of, you know, where you said, hey, when somebody calls me to talk about your mastics, I'll tell them everything that yeah. I feel like they need to know or that, that's Bullshit important America. that I've found that's, that works, you know. And, yeah. and then, and I'm hoping that the upcoming generation of herpetoculturalists will take it to the next level, you know, make yeah, it right. better than we, we made it, you know. We should always try to be improving these things. And I think you know, that's science in general. Once you learn something, you know, and put it into practice or put it into action, um, you know, that's kind of what science is all about is to, oh, to yeah. improve life or, or discover more or understand more or understand better. And and so, you know, I think that that's one way that my, you know, mind as a scientist and, and as a virologist fits in uh, with herpetoculture. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, sometimes maybe a burden because you do get a little frustrated or like, man, this is all just about money or they just care about more. Yeah. So, you know, that's probably where that little crotchety old man side of me comes out of, you know, like yeah. it's more than just the color patterns, you know, like there's more to this than that. But um, so, you know, I have to kind of rein myself in a little bit and let people appreciate more, I guess. But, you sure, know, sure. Um, those kind of things, uh, and just, you know, how to approach a problem or how to approach a, learning about a new topic. You know, you just mm-hmm. kind of immerse yourself in all the stuff that's out there. And, and you know, being employed at a university, I have access to the library. You know, oh, yeah. I can look up, find, get get just about any paper that's ever been published to some extent. I mm-hmm. got in a little bit of trouble because I, I ordered a, a dissertation that was done by Gavin Bedford. I got it from his university and actually sent the dissertation to me. And then wow. the library found out that I did that and they got upset because I didn't go through them or something like, you know, <laughs> and so it was Come kind on. of funny, but yeah, I, I scanned all that in and studied that. And it, it was, yeah. it was very you know enlightening, but it wasn't really available, you know, and I guess a, a little bit of, a, and you know, I'm guilty of this as well, but a little bit of frustration is that there's, so much information out there. And I always tell this to my kids, like, you got to have balance. You know, there is time to be entertained. You know, I'm not against watching a TV show or whatever and, <laughs> and things like that. I don't think you should always be studying stuff, but there should be a balance. You know, there should yeah. be some study. There should be some entertainment. There should be some rest. You know, <laughs> there should be some mm-hmm. physical activity Get out there and run or, you know, beat somebody up or, or uh, swim or something. You yeah. know? <laughs> there, there's all, you know, life is, is, uh, is great. And there's a lot of great things that can be experienced in life. And so, yeah, um, you know, research is just one aspect of that, but I, I do think it's important, you know, there's, and, and just going through this pandemic has been mm. uh, kind of a sad eye opening experience. Like the, the miss, many of the misinformation and that's, yeah. it's so hard because if you, if you're not in the field, you know, like I look at it and I, these people making up these weird things and you're like, 
oh, that's just complete nonsense. Like I can see through that in a second. And then I have good friends or family like, hey, what do you think about this story? I'm like, really? You see merit in this at all? Like this, this just doesn't raise red flags, you know? So I guess I take, I guess I get a little complacent with, with that uh, background or with, you know, the effort that I've taken to go to school or to learn these things or be in the field. But what's really frustrating is when you have people who aren't in the field telling you how it is and you're like, oh, please go on, tell me how virology works. You know, I, I really need to know because, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating. And, but at the same time, I mean, it's exciting because, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, using the scientific method and trying to improve what we do is, is an exciting thing. I mean, that's, that's that's half the fun of this is to see how you can do it better and see how you can improve. And if you're just kind of resting on your laurels or you get complacent with something or you've moved on, then sell off those animals, get, you know, get rid of them. Don't just drag them along because they're, you know, making you money or something. I don't know. Totally. What do you do? Yeah. Well, that on the theme of, of balance um roy perhaps since i have uh went ahead and commandeered a handful of your questions do you yeah. want and, and while you do that i'm my little cat here is gonna she needs to get out of the room to go to the litter box so okay. you guys yeah, yeah, go for it go for it yeah, yeah. i actually I actually want to i want to save that question and go in kind of a different direction a little bit because i feel like it's related to what you were just speaking to um but i i feel like um expressed in a lot of what you just said is is kind of trying to create more of what I, what I would call like a culture of inheritance um you know so that we're we're building on those who come before and we're actually effectively transmitting what we've learned to the next generation so that we are actually able to do that and i think that that's kind of a critique i've had in herbiculture especially recently in herbiculture is that um you know, whether it's through kind of the gatekeeping of information that we spoke to earlier, or it's sheer laziness or being too busy, um, there are fewer and fewer, I feel like, um, avenues for like quality information to be passed on, like, um, you know, herpetoculture, stuff like that. I feel like we're, um, in some ways, like, there was more momentum, more people were writing them, I think previously than now it seems like just because of the way the information gets transmitted and um i could be totally wrong on that as well i'm open to feedback there but as someone who has has um published several several books and and has obviously shown a really strong commitment to um passing on what you're learning and kind of contributing to to um, the field of knowledge that is herbiculture, um, as as Philippe devotionally would call it, mm-hmm. I'm curious. Like, what do you perceive as like the responsibility of of those of us who are really committed to this to like pass on what we know, and how how do you go about doing that? You know, how do you? What's the process of of beginning to compile that information and make a publication? Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky thing, but I I mean. I, I look at all the information we have and especially the ways that information is spread these days, like social media, yeah. that stuff is so fleeting, you know, you'll see something yeah. and then you scroll past and it's gone and it's very difficult to, 
where did I see that? Or I, you know, that was a really cool point. Now I, I can't find it. You know, it's just such a fleeting yeah. thing. And so, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, print media is dead or, you know, that books are outdated or whatever. And, and granted, I mean, there is an aspect of that where once you publish something, it's pretty much out of date to some extent. Mm-hmm. Some of the information in there is out of date the day you publish it, you know, yeah. and, you know, that mostly pertains to things like morphs or something that change, you know, uh, but, yeah. but some of the, some of the stuff and, you know, with a lot of the publications that I've been involved with, it's standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, you're you're just compiling what other people have done and seen and things like that. But I I will say to to the books, there there is some element of of discovery or or mm. you know new thoughts or new ideas, and so um, those are kind of my favorite parts of writing the books is trying to pass on, like you said, what you've learned or what you've discovered for the next generation to kind of take and build off of and hopefully improve on. And um, I mean, just the, so the first book that I worked on with Nick Mutton was the complete, the complete carpet Python and, and Ben Morrill was also in, integrally involved in that. And uh, we, you know, we wrote that in 2011, you know, the, years preceding 2000 it was published in 2011 but we wrote it you know a few a bit before that but um and then a decade later you know that book is sold out and there there aren't really copies available anymore and so we decided to do the second edition and just the going back and reading through what we put in the first edition and and all the changes that we made i mean it's basically a new book and it's twice as long and you know twice as thick and and so it's and and just the changes that we made i feel like um, show that, you know, things aren't static. Things don't, don't just, right. they, they don't just stay the same, you know, and, and the fact that we could basically rewrite the book and include a lot of new information that wasn't known at the time or that, you know, that we've reasoned out or figured out since then and, and different aspects, oh, we should have included this or that and the other. And so I think uh, there, there's definitely still, and, and the response to this new book has been really nice. You know, I've already Mm -hmm. just, just pre-orders were over a hundred pre-orders and I'm, you know, I, kind of just got a handle on that. So most people have gotten those shipped out, you know, that's a big effort, but uh, not yeah. the funnest part of it, but <laughs> it, it was good to see the reception of that, you know, that people are actually willing to spend, you know, $90 on a book still. And I was mm-hmm. a little worried about that because it was, it's a heavy book and it costs a lot to ship and stuff like that. So I'm like, is anybody going to even want to buy this, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, it seems like a lot of people have pre-ordered it and, and, and bought it. So it's encouraging. And, you know, I think they also, you know, when you, when you're interested in a subject and you see that there's a book available, but it's sold out and you can't find a copy or the copies are all like $400 or something, you know, yeah. you're like, Okay. But I, I think in, in part of the reason that we wrote that book in the first place was to leave a lasting you know record. We wanted to put, put out something that was good quality that people could rely on for, for a while that had good information and, 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 you know, that would be around <laughs> hopefully mm-hmm. down the road. I, I don't, I always donate copies of my books to my library, you know, so the, yeah. the university library at least has a, has a copy of that. And I think technically you could probably borrow that book through another library and have them ship mm-hmm. it to you and you can read it and stuff and send wow. it back like I did mm-hmm. with uh, Gavin Bedford's these. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we, uh, I, I think having that physical 
you know, information down in, in a, you know, in a book form, um, at least, you know, you can know where to find the information. If, you know, it might be difficult to find down the road, but right now it's available, you know, in the second edition and stuff like that. So, and, and I think the people at least who have pre-ordered it understand that, you know, like I want to get a copy before it's, you know, out of print and $300. And I didn't yeah. have that opportunity with the first edition because I just got into carpets or something, you know, so it's kind of a, a, a two, two way street that way. But um, I, I think as long as there's that uh, information down on paper, you know, it, it'll mm-hmm. be around. It'll, you know, it'll, right. it'll be, we, we still have books from, you know, the, the uh, prehistoric times almost, you know, you got like really old uh, works and they've been translated and, you know, we can argue about if the translation is correct or not, but we have that information and wisdom from previous generations that uh, are still around and we still have access to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very nice. That's yeah. good stuff. Um, <laughs> did I did I get off too off? To, I can't even remember the question now. Did I did I answer? No, that it? was that was okay. pretty that was pretty yeah. much it. Yeah, it was just. I, I mean, I was yeah. I just wanted to hear a little bit about like how, how you approach that, you know, and and um, yeah, it was well well said. So thanks. I, I think too, like you know, even if you're if you're not going to publish a book, you know, publishing. Uh, papers and publishing mm-hmm. articles. I mean, it's hard. You know, I I offered to write articles for Reptiles Magazine back in the day. Like, I'm like, hey, I you know, I just released this first edition of the Carpet Book. I'm happy to write an article. You know, you know, with care information or or mm-hmm. natural history information for your magazine. Never got a response. Never got you know any anywhere with that. Yeah. So you know, it's like I, I think there there are those avenues, but sometimes you have to. <laughs> kind of uh, yeah. keep be persistent. And I only asked once or twice, you know, and then just yeah. kind of like, okay, they're not interested and left it at that. But well, they're lost. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> um, but we, we, we do have, you know, there's, there's a lot of different kind of trade magazines that have come and gone. And so, you know, you can sometimes access those articles. Those are a little mm-hmm. harder, but there's also journals like uh, um, some of the more, uh, I don't know if you'd call them tri- like, herpeticulture journals but like uh there's that uh monitor lizard one I can, i'm blanking oh, yeah, yeah, on the yeah. name right now but yeah it's like um, a publication I know what you're talking about uh-huh. i'm trying to remember the name too um i i published in it i can't believe i can't remember uh, <laughs> but, but basically i just like i was in australia and i is it Biowack? Biowack? yeah Biowack. Biowack. yeah how are you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And, and so uh i I was in Australia and we were walking through the grounds of the Australian desert park. And I heard, again, heard a rustling in the bushes and I look over and there's a pair of Ackies mating like under a rock. And so, and they're wild, like just on the grounds of the desert park. They're not like in in an exhibit. They're wild animals just living on the desert park grounds. And uh, so I'm like taking pictures. And so, you know, that was just an observation of something little. And and so I published that in Biowack, you know, and and there's other like um, her, oh, What's the my my brain just doesn't retain names of people, <laughs> magazines or places or whatever. Um, but there's another journal uh, that's that's got like a herpeticulture um, section in it where mm-hmm. people like in zoos or in in breeding facilities or whatever they can compile their observations or their data or their you know things and publish it in that journal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, there's, there's different avenues for getting your information and the, and the useful yeah. information that you've gathered over your life in, in, you know, publishable form that mm-hmm. can be available for people. Now for a number of years, that wasn't digitally, but now you can get all the back episodes in, in digital format. Mm-hmm. So, um, her, Oh my gosh. There's like, captive and field herpetology is one. That's like out of huh. the UK. I think that's a really good yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now that there's also one that's kind of more recent um, that the the folks at Beyond in Ukraine have put together called the Responsible Herpetoculture Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, cool! I've actually published a couple articles in that through yeah. through them, and and that's a really great one as well. It's really that it's it's cool to see um, like an international journal like that. You know, you're, you're seeing keepers yeah. in Russia and keepers in. South America even have written articles for that one, which I really appreciate. And absolutely, um, Herpetoculture mm-hmm. Magazine, which I think is on a bit of a hiatus right now, but you can still find all their back issues online. Yeah, articles. Yeah. Herpetological yeah. Review—that's the journal. That's I what was it trying. is. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's a that's a fun one because they just have like little. You can even publish a paragraph like yeah. just saying i found this animal here we didn't expect it or i observed this animal eating a praying mantis and i don't think it's been documented you know those kind of observations go into this journal and so you know there's a lot of cool things about her her review that uh yeah that, you know you you can and you know it, it is a little bit of a learning curve on how to Mm-hmm. write and publish an article but you know that the citizen scientist aspect like i think there's very few um phds or, or researchers in you know in, in different fields like um when somebody comes to them and says hey i've i've observed this you know is this something of merit you know would you want to publish this or you know and, mm-hmm. and and team up with a scientist to to have them take the lead on writing the paper and you know i'm not saying that it's not accessible at all to you know somebody without mm-hmm. a phd like anybody can write an article as you know as yeah. long as you kind of learn right. the format learn how you know how they want their articles and a lot of that information is in the journal itself mm-hmm. and i i think there's definitely value to citizen you know uh, science and and people making yeah. observations and recording those and reporting those because the scientist has to be um they're bound by some restrictions right. right it's like if you're not doing research that the the funding agencies care about you know then yeah. you're kind of out of luck and that's one of the reasons right. i didn't go into herpetology and i went in, into virology because there were more jobs and there were more, you know, the studies are only 21 days. I don't have to leave my family for months at a time to go out in the field. So I kind of took the easy way out, but I still, you know, have that passion for learning about and observing reptiles in the wild. I just didn't make it my uh, profession, I guess. So it's a, doesn't sound like it as a hobby, but yeah, it's still kind of, it still takes up a large portion of my brain uh, power to think about. (laughs) Sometimes that ties in a little bit to that. That ties in a little bit to that question that you were going to ask Phil before you left her on balance. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, so if we go down the list of things that you're, you're working on, so you've got your career in virology, (laughs) you have your family, you have field herping, you have, your own herpetocultural practice, you have Reptile Fight Club, and you have your career as an author. That's quite the list of <laughs> That's shit. why I'm always tired. That's a lot. <laughs> right. So um, with that in mind, and maybe I can maybe try to make this a two-part question if possible. So 
Um, do you ever get like overwhelmed and do you, do you, you know, do, do, are there any, how do you maintain like a work-life balance with so much going on? And then maybe adjacent to that, um, do you, are there any people that you look to either within or without herpeticulture that you draw inspiration from or, or, or anything like that? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I, uh, finding that balance, it can be tricky. And and granted, you know, I get complaints from the wife from time to time about, <laughs> you know, I'm spending too much time uh, herping and stuff. And I think part of this, uh, I guess, secret to that is that you involve your family and in, in the things mm-hmm. that you're doing, you know? So like on this last trip to Mexico, I took my uh, second to youngest kid and, and, you know, got her out on the trip with me and we went out herping together and, you know, snorkeling together and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and so cool. in like, my youngest daughter has really gotten into the, you know, reptiles and she'll help me out in the reptile room and I'll, she'll, she'll vend at the shows with me. And she's always begging me to take her, take her on herping trips. And unfortunately the herping trips we've done have have not been very productive. You know, we (laughs) spend a lot of nights road cruising and finding nothing. It's been kind of frustrating, but, um, Mm -hmm. and then every time I go on a trip, like if I'm invited with from friends or something, I'm like, I can't tell you, please dad, just tell them, tell them I'm going to, come i'll i'll sit in the back seat i won't make any noise i'm like yeah I don't <laughs> yeah so you know it's uh getting the family involved has been helpful and and taking you know like i i brought my wife on one of the trips to western australia and she was she was a great herper you know she did wow. a really good job with it in retrospect i probably could have pampered her a little bit more on the trip you know we didn't really stop to take showers that often (laughs) (laughs) it was a little rough on her you know so i i I learned uh, the lessons there but you know we were kind of young and poor anyway so it wasn't like we could afford too much and the showers were pretty pricey but (laughs) oh no uh, but uh you know i think too like finding um time when you can like i i i ride the bus to work and so like you know the bus system's free around here and it takes maybe 10 minutes longer to ride the bus versus drive but um while i'm on the bus i can write you know and that's where a lot of a lot of the books that i've written that's where that's taken place is on the bus ride to and from work so you know i've got that you know what almost an hour a, a day that i would have to 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 keep keep writing or read an article or something like that, you know, so yeah. it didn't help that I get motion sick sometimes. And so oh, no. drivers kind of suck. So, oh. you know, <laughs> so I get a little queasy. I get home, have to like lay down for yeah. a minute to recover <laughs> from the bus ride, trying to read and stuff. But, um, you know, we, 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 we all have the same amount of time. And so, you know, yeah. what we do with that time and, and granted, I watch way too many TV shows, you know, that's so, right. uh, and, and things like that or, or YouTube videos. And sometimes I feel like I'm resting on my laurels, just, you know, like I've, yeah. I put in all this work and now I can just kind of be lazy or something, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, as, as also, as I get further into my career, like I, I just got my final um, advancement. So I'm a full research professor now. And so um, I, I don't have to, to do some of the hoop jumping that I had to do to get to that point. And so I can kind of take more time to do something else there. And I have a pretty successful program up at work and and doing well on the vir- virology side. So, you know, I can take more vacations and get away from the lab a little bit more than that. So that's why it seems like, I mean, my dad was 
he's retired and he was complaining that I'm doing more vacationing than he does as a retired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I just keep getting invited on trips and, you know, wanting to get out and herp or something. So yeah. uh, So sometimes in a week we're leaving for Costa Rica to visit my daughter who's out there. uh, Uh, I'm really excited to check out. I love Costa Rica. Central America. I've I've never been to um, other than Mexico to Central America and South America. So I'm excited. Wow. That'll be fun. Any specific destinations there that you're going to? Um, She's on the Osa Peninsula. So we're hanging out. That's the the best place. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So yeah, I've got a a couple of night uh, herp tours planned and and some guides there. And then we're going to, yeah, just basically we we rented this uh, tree house for a few nights. And so we're going to be, and they're like on the edge of the Corcovado and stuff. So I'll be getting out every night to uh, take a look around, but I I'm hoping it's going to be, you know, there's going to be some herp activity because I, I contacted CR wild and they're like, Oh yeah, nobody does herp trips in, in, uh, you know, November. (laughs) Like that's like, Uh, eh, it's kind of the rainy season, but I don't know. Hopefully it'll, you'll still see that. Yeah. Yeah. Luck will be on your side. Yeah. I I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Like that was another thing with the, I, my, my wife and I went on our honeymoon to um, Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so we went up to the site where they filmed Predator and and so we were like (laughs) legendary. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So we were checking out that area and and like, I'm like, I want to get out in the rainforest and go herping, you know, (laughs) find some cool stuff. And, and we start walking in the rainforest and she's like, you know, really, and you know, just looking all over and taking <laughs> very slow steps. I'm like, honey, we're not going to get anywhere if this is, how, you know, would you yeah. feel more comfortable staying over here? And I'll, I'll just run out and do a little bit really quick. And so she's like, sure. And of course, you know, I went out and saw nothing and I came back and she's like, oh, I saw a boa crawl into ah. this pile of junk over here on of the course. set and I saw a lizard climb up this tree and I'm like, dang it. You know, I went all this, yeah. you know, I went all over and I saw like a cool bird and that was about it, you know? So yeah. I, yeah. That, but striking that balance in life is just about, I don't know, time management. And, you know, I think a lot of times we think, oh, you know, to accomplish that, it's going to take all this time, but really it's just kind of little bits at a time, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, little steps. <laughs> sometimes, uh, my my fiance Rach will mention. She's like, you know, you're doing a lot. You should remember to like slow down and just take it easy. I'm like, dude, do you have any idea how much British Bake Show I watch? Like, <laughs> I I've got plenty of time. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like it gets a little a little <laughs> bit frustrating. Um, in the interest <laughs> of in the interest of of time and and trying to be mindful and respectful of yours we've just eclipsed two hours. So, oh, wow. yeah. So I, I, and I, I'm not necessarily in a hurry to, to close out the conversation or anything, but I, I just want to be aware of that. And um, mm-hmm. so I want to ask if just a few remaining questions. Um, and of course, if, if Roy has any, I, I want to give him room as well. But um, one of them is, uh, do you have any sense for like what the future holds for you for, for reptile fight club and for some of your various, um, endeavors. I, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I wonder about, um, individuals and, you know, some people seem to have say more very strict goals, you know, strict ideas about where mm-hmm. they see where they're going and say five to 10, but then mm-hmm. others. And I count myself among, among this group of people, which is, I, I feel like a huge amount of what I'm doing is totally improvised and flying by the seat of my pants to a degree. I mean, it doesn't yeah. mean, I don't have some sense of what I'm doing, but 
Um, I'm curious what that looks like. I mean, it just it's a it's a very small sense, but it's there. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I get that. Like I I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants a lot of times. Like where I just you know kind of hey I'm gonna do this and I I do it and then I'm like wait what's the end goal here? Yeah, yeah. it's a good question for me to ask myself too. But yeah, yeah. For for the for the podcast, like I, I'm almost like man. It's it's a lot to do one every week, you know, and and so I'm I'm thinking maybe we should step, you know, slow it down a little bit, or you know, because I, I like to get guests on, and but I like to also just discuss some of these topics with Chuck. But you know, it's, sometimes it's a struggle to find a topic. I mean, there's plenty of things to think about. So I encourage anybody, you know, that that has an idea for for you know a podcast topic, let me know because we're happy to fight about just about anything. So Hell you yeah. know, just uh, there's always there's always something to to think about but um so yeah we just want to keep it going as long as we can you know as long as yeah. it stays fresh and exciting and fun and it's not just you know we don't get too repetitive or boring or people lose interest but sure. i mean that's kind of the the idea i guess is to keep it going as long as we can i don't i don't know you know if 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 we'll be able to sustain it, I'm hoping we can, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun and I enjoy it, but yeah, it, it is like, you know, it's, it takes time and you got to schedule stuff and make a few different uh, um, schedules work together and that can be challenging. And so sometimes it's like, man, why am I even doing this? This is a, yeah. <laughs> this is a headache, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it it's, I think it's more enjoyment now than headache. So that's, you know, as long mm -hmm. as that's the case, I think we'll keep it going. Um for the business side, I mean, I, I can't envision myself not keeping and, you know, breeding some some project or another. But uh, I think about that because I, I like to travel, too. And when, you know, mm -hmm. when I retire, I'm, I want to take some longer trips. So that's going to be uh, a thought for down the road. But, you know, that's kind of a, a scary thought. Like, what if I had to get rid of all my reptiles? Could I do that? Or Oh, man. Find somebody close, you know, hire a kid in the neighborhood or, you know, yeah. get my daughter to stay at our house while we're gone, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Who's going to take care of those things? Or if, again, if I get hit by a bus, who's going to, you know, take yeah. care of the collection? And, yeah. and, uh, so luckily I have some good friends that could probably help Heidi, uh, figure out what to do with all my stuff. But yeah, yeah it's kind of a dark turn. But anyway, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm planning on keeping it going as long as I can and doing yeah. more herb trips. Like we, you know, we've got, got a few different trips planned. I'm, I'm planning on spending my 50th birthday in Australia looking for uh, gammons, uh, carpets, stuff oh, like uh, that. Yeah. yeah, everybody's invited. If you want to show up in Australia, we'll go. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Roy, yeah, we can make that fun. one. Maybe that'll <laughs> yeah. be the one where. When do you turn 50, Justin? 2025. 2025. All right, Roy. All right. If, we if we haven't met in person by 2025, we'll do it in Australia. We'll go celebrate Justin's 50th and uh, find a parenti in. Yeah. The by yeah, that the time, we'll have met in to... person and probably like, like choked each other out a few times at that point. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. We'll be at each other's throats. The downside is you have to wear a goofy uh, party hat while you herb. So. Oh, that's, the, that's, an, that's an upside in my yeah, book. Yeah. I wear a goofy yeah. hat almost every day, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys are perfect. <laughs> no, that's I would awesome. never make anybody wear a goofy party hat. Those things annoy me. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Okay, I'm really glad well, he clarified that. <laughs> uh, 
Well, so, okay, with that in mind, I suppose this might be the right time for the sort of the closing question, Roy. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that, man? I think that sounds great. Sorry, I'm, I'm a, I just paired my tricolor hog nose oh, snakes. Oh, nice. What an ugly, oh, ugly too. animal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so, this is They're my, so cool. Beautiful. My little beard. male. And um, I'm just putting him back in his, his vivarium. But oh, cool. Yes. All right. I think the final question is time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, the final question is one where we're kind of, we've turned it into a bit of a podcast tradition. It's what we want to ask everyone who comes on the show. And the, the question is why herpeticulture? And um, that you can f- feel free to take that as broadly or specifically as you like. And, um, you know, we've had answers, everything from Philip Tremper said it's a disease and uh, uh, which was my favorite answer so far because it was hilarious. Uh, but, but you know, that can be societally speaking. Why do we do this or individually yeah. speaking or for you personally? What, what do you make of that? Well, no, no offense to Phil Tramper, but I'm going to say it's the the cure, right? It's, the, <laughs> it's I love, I don't know, I love reptiles and just being around them and experiencing them in any form, whether it's captive or in the wild, it just does my soul good. It restores me. It helps me, you know, get through the mundane aspects of life. It, you know, like if I can get out and herp, it just you know, it just invigorates me. And, and when I get out to the reptile room, it just, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure, even if I'm scooping snake poop, you know, it's still uh-huh. just, just interacting with the animals and, and kind of, I don't know, getting to uh, interact with them is, is uh, healing to me. Mm. It's, it's kind of, and and that's a, a large part of why I kept it as a hobby um, I didn't want it to be like a job, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh man, I got to go study reptiles or I got to go, you know, do this or that. Not to say that never happens. Like I, there are times when I'm like, oh man, I got to go clean snake cages. You know, I, I haven't been out there for a day or two, you know, I got to get out there and take care of stuff, you know? So, uh, but, but for the most part, it just brings joy into my life. I just yeah love reptiles <laughs> and I don't, I don't know where it is or where it came from or why I have it, but yeah, maybe <laughs> it is part disease, but I, yeah. I just, I love it. it. It just, it's one of the best parts of, of life for me. Oh man. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> really well said. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Thanks. I, I relate to that great. protectiveness of yeah. it too. You know, like yeah. I was on track to, I was, I was planning to go to UC Berkeley to become a herpetologist and mm-hmm. And I was going to do it. And, and then I started to, I just started to see the kind of like the, the competitiveness and the, the mm-hmm. politics. And I was just like, I don't, I love this too much to let it get sour. And yeah. I, just, yeah. I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, there was a, there was a herpetologist guy. He got his degree in herpetology, got his PhD. He finished up at the university and he had a collection of animals, you know, mm-hmm. that he'd been keeping while he was doing his PhD. And when he finished, he pickled them all and then moved oh when he had to move. He just pickled all his animals oh and left God. them in the collection of the university. I'm like, holy crap. You know, thank Jeez. goodness I didn't go down that route. Like that's, <laughs> that's the way you get, you know, like, that was the biggest thing is like, I didn't want to be pickling, you know, and like, yeah. uh, that's heartless. No, I special to me to let it get exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. So, it, yeah. There, uh, and again, I, not to, protract that question too long or anything, but sure. I, I'm, I feel like there were times in my life, whether it was through the influence of, you know, my, my father or something, no offense to him either, but 
you know, where it was like, man, is this really something I want to keep doing? And it seems like real dead end and all this stuff. But it always was something that I could not help. I couldn't shake it. It was, mm-hmm. you know, like no matter what I did, no matter where I went, it was like my life didn't feel complete unless I had a damn lizard in a cage with me or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It just didn't feel right. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, uh, I, I relate to to what you said. It's just like, there's something so profound and so joyous about the practice. It's so mm-hmm. uh, integral to, I feel like it's such an integral part of who we are as people. Uh, yeah. Those of us in the community anyway. Yeah. 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 It, it, it can work. Contagion. Yeah. <laughs> it can work the other way too. Like, you know, I know that it, it, when I've had, an animal die or something that's oh, yeah. really important to me and it, and it passed away, you know, you kind of get down in the dumps. You're like, ah, mm-hmm. it's almost painful to go out to the reptile room a little bit, you know? Yeah. And, and it can be a risk. I think there are some cases mm-hmm. where people have kind of just gotten too depressed about it or something and then the whole thing suffers. So, you know, we are still dealing with live animals and we need to kind of shake yeah. it off and, and, and worry about the rest of the animals that are still alive and well and happy. But, you know, that's totally for the most part, I found nothing but joy through thinking about mm-hmm. or interacting with or, you know, seeing them in the wild or whatever reptiles or, yeah. The, wow. The, yeah. It man. seems like that's just kind of, true of anything that a person loves is that loss becomes a part of it at some point, you know? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Justin, that, that is, uh, I think a great way to close out the conversation. That was an absolute joy to talk with you about all this stuff and share stories and things. Can you tell people where they can, yeah, where they can find you and, and, uh, and the reptile fight club? Sure. Yeah. Um, reptile fight clubs on the Morelia pythons, uh, radio network and it's kind of crazy to see all these networks like I, yeah. I kept looking for your podcast and i'm like i i do a search and it always brings up animals at home and yeah. i'm like well, what's going on and yeah, i yeah. you know i was like i you know i i forget about things until it's like okay i want to i want to listen to this and then i can't find it i don't yeah. know maybe i'm technologically challenged or something but finally i like okay i looked a little closer at the animals oh i'm like oh every couple yeah. <laughs> episodes it's you guys so now yeah. i'm very excited to catch up on your backlog and stuff so right. sorry oh, for awesome. uh, yeah not being prepared that way but oh, I, I i honestly look for it a couple times and admittedly <laughs> i'm kind of an idiot and i didn't find it so i'm excited to get that in but um yeah reptile fight club can be uh, you know found where you find your podcast i guess i uh, I I don't know exactly if people have a problem finding it on certain platforms or other, but you know, oh, I, uh, yeah, so I think it's easy uh, to find. It's out there. Um, and yeah. then I my business is uh, Australian Addiction Reptiles, and so AustralianAddiction.com is my website. And then on social media, I just go. I I do have an Australian Addiction Reptiles Facebook page, but I never, you know, very rarely update it. I feel kind of bad about that. But Justin Julander on Facebook or and JG Julander lander on instagram on instagram i just post pictures of like wild animals and Mm -hmm. and and i subscribe to people who post pictures of wild you know (laughs) reptiles and so that's kind of my focus on there just to kind of have a break from the normal social media Mm -hmm. and just look at pretty pictures of reptiles in their environment or birds or insects or whatever you know hell yeah yeah awesome awesome well that's that's fantastic stuff um i'm gonna hit the stop recording